0: To where the big boys play. Welcome to Twenty Years of Nitro, our week by week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed mm, twenty years and some months after it originally aired. (laughs) Twenty years and change. (laughs) I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast partner, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing today?
1: I am looking forward to the fact that now we are expanding from one hour to two of Nitro action. Uh, it'll be interesting to see as far as uh, how many different wrestlers end up showing up as a result of this more more airtime that they have with WCW Nitro.
0: Absolutely. Now, um, to give just a quick peek behind the scenes, you obviously probably have noticed that uh, this episode, which will cover the May 27th, 1996 Nitro, uh, it's a little bit late, just a tad.
1: Yeah, yeah, give or take a few days.
0: Uh, so a lot of things have changed. Uh, uh, right now, I, my wife and I don't have a house. We're living at my dad's where we try to find a house to buy. Um, my wife's pregnant. Dave is living out here in beautiful Hayward, Wisconsin, which is about three hours from where I live in the Twin Cities. So we drove out here. Uh, my, my whole family came. We came out here to record this weekend. Uh, excited to get you some episodes. We're, we're actually going to record several episodes today so that we'll have a few in the can. I don't think I'll be releasing them weekly. I'll try to sparse them out a little bit because um, I don't know when we'll have another opportunity to record, but damn it, it was time to get in here again. And give you some of that quality Nitro breakdown that you've come to expect. Yeah.
1: The nice thing is that the Nitro episodes, they're not going anywhere. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, And, uh, you know, uh, when you think about it, somebody could just stumble on this podcast five years from now and they don't care, uh, you know, because it'll be seamless for them. They're they're wondering why the hell we're talking about this.
1: Or millions of years from now when aliens find these recordings.
0: (laughs) But I did want to take a quick minute to just uh, say thank you to everyone who has stayed in touch on Facebook or Twitter um making sure you know that we know that you guys are still out there still fans of the show still want to listen uh i imagine that we'll probably take a bit of a hit in our listener numbers but we really don't care it's not about how many uh people listen to the show it's just about the joy of doing it and trying to do a good job so uh to you you dedicated diehards uh who kept us sitting there empty in your itunes uh podcast feed <laughs> we thank you hey speaking of podcasts i don't want to go off on a whole tangent uh uh-huh. um and now I don't even remember the name I use. I, I switched. The, the Apple podcast app is garbage. A lot of people out there are probably using the Apple one like I did, the, the like default iPhone one. Uh, what's the one I got? Downcast. So I highly recommend Downcast to all of you uh, who listen to a bunch of podcasts and are sick of the Apple bullshit in their <laughs> terrible, terrible native app. But anyway, as I said, it is May twenty seventh, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Macon Coliseum in Macon, Georgia. As you heard from our new friend, Tony Schiavone, uh, this is the first two-hour broadcast of Nitro. First, uh, permanent. I believe that we did have a special episode that was two hours earlier, didn't we? Uh, I feel like there was. Oh, maybe the one around Clash of the Champions? That could be. Uh, But in any case, they're making a permanent move to two hours, and I know we've talked already in past episodes about the financial incentive for them to do so. There's really not a lot of added costs since they tended to bring all of their talent to their television anyway yeah. and then not use them. So everyone's sitting around. You've already got the space. Uh, TNT's paying you more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it made perfect sense um, for them to move to two hours. It, it really for, um, gets them a jump on WWF and is going to force Vince to figure some things. I mean, Vince has basically already said publicly that he's going to be forced to go to two hours as well. He hasn't put that in, uh, He hasn't implemented that yet. Yeah. But we'll certainly see that with uh, Raw.
1: Yeah, I mean, that'd be very difficult if you're, you know, essentially going head to head with this competition. And The competition has double the time, you know, it's going to be, that's going to be a pretty one sided battle. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure in the end that Vince won't mind having more airtime. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he could act as, like, annoyed as he wants to, but in the end, that's going to benefit him as well.
0: All right, before we dive into anything regarding tonight's show, I did want to take a quick uh, moment to just recap kind of the state of things in WCW. Mm-hmm. Now, I won't do this for too long because, like I said, for many listeners, you could be listening to this 10 years in the future. Um, and, you know, for you, you, you heard our last episode, you know, maybe right before you played this one. So uh, I don't want to spend too much time recapping where we're at. But just to remind everyone, the WCW world champion right now is the Giant. Uh, He defeated Ric Flair on Nitro just about a month before this episode aired. The WCW uh, United States champion is Conan, who defeated One Man Gang on an episode of Main Event back in the end of January. The tag team champions are Sting and Lex Luger, who also have been champions since uh, January when they defeated Harlem Heat on Nitro. Uh, Their kind of storyline is, is Luger trustworthy or not? Sometimes he's got shades of heelism. Although, uh, I'll remind people that for the last few weeks, that's kind of been put on hold luger's been given a title shot against the giant yeah uh the upcoming great american bash which is a pay-per-view happening about three weeks from now so he has not been doing the uh tweener shtick so much he's he's pretty much just a a baby face at this point yeah the wcw cruiserweight champion is dean malenko who won it uh just about a week ago defeating the uh the first cruiserweight champion shinjiro otani on an episode of worldwide uh, the belt has been mentioned but we have not seen hide nor hair of it on uh, nitro right. or pay-per-view
1: I and they they only sometimes refer to that tournament right which as we discussed in the past was really questionable as far as like guys entering and re-entering and and who really knows exactly how they got to those finals <laughs> right but yeah so far they 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 talked a lot about the cruiserweight division but they have not really implemented much of any time on nitro for it.
0: Uh, As far as the biggest star in WCW, Hulk Hogan, he's been gone for about a month. Uh, The last time that we saw him, he and the booty man beat up uh, Jimmy Hart for a while. That was kind of the last we've seen of Hogan. They had that match where the winner got like five minutes with the opposing manager. Oh, that's right. Yeah. uh, So they slapped Jimmy Hart around and he rode triumphantly into the sunset.
1: Yeah. And the, the nice
0: benefit of Hulk Hogan being gone is that the booty Man's also gone. <laughs> yeah, the booty man is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> um, we also have the four horsemen. They're still a faction, although they only have three members after uh, the departure of Brian Pillman. And Benoit is seen somewhat rarely because he spends most of his time in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he'll show up for like Saturday night tapings because they can get him for a week and he'll end up in like three months worth of shows. Yeah. But since Nitro is live, it doesn't really work that way. So he's rarely seen on Nitro. Um, but he has been having a program that we'll talk about over the next few days uh, working with Kevin Sullivan. That's mm-hmm. leading to a match at the Great American Bash. Uh, in terms of the rest of the Horsemen, Ric Flair and the Enforcer Arn Anderson are in kind of, uh, as we'll see um, throughout this show and the next few, really the main program for WCW right now. They're headed for a tag team match at the Great American Bash against NFL former, uh, well NFL current player Kevin yep. Green and mm-hmm. former NFL player and current Nitro announcer Kevin, uh, excuse me, Steve Mongo McMichael.
1: Yeah, it's just really interesting seeing 20 years ago how, um, like, an NFL player is able to go and do this because, um, as they refer to, I think, either this episode or the next week, that he's in his mini camps as well. Yeah, right now, (laughs)
0: which is partly why, uh, outside of some training montages, we won't actually really see him on Nitro leading up to the match.
1: Yeah. But it, it I just find it really interesting because nowadays no NFL player would be allowed to do any sort of like oh, extra physical activity like that, like especially around a training camp.
0: Uh Pac-Man Jones, uh it was it was very difficult for him to participate in TNA and literally all he did was stay on the outside of the ring. Yeah. I think somehow they, they made him tag team champion even though he did not participate in any wrestling. Yeah, him and Ron Killings were tag team champions. <laughs> oh boy. Oh TNA. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, anyway, uh, our show opens with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco, who would be certainly no strangers to WCW fans. But if you're a Nitro only type of fan, uh, as we tend to be on this show, uh, this is really the first that we're seeing of them outside of. Uh, Shivani, I think, has showed up on pay-per-view before. And Larry Zbysko was one of the like 12 announcers for the 60-man battle royal back at World War Three. Yeah.
1: Didn't Tony Shivani also have that one appearance on Nitro when Oakland didn't show up?
0: Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and also, I just wanted to note, as far as Tony Shivani and Larry Zbysko are, are concerned, uh, this is the first time I was revisiting those guys in a while. I managed to spell both their names correctly the first try. That is impressive. <laughs> Especially Zabisco, which is <laughs> just a madness as far as spelling is concerned.
0: Well, to give some quick uh, backgrounds on them as they are making their official debuts here on the podcast. Tony Shivani got his start calling play-by-play in college for his school's women's basketball team. After college, he did high school sports for some local television and radio stations before moving on to minor league baseball, and it was there working for the Charlotte O's, an affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles, that he began uh, to work in wrestling, as the O's were actually part-owned by Jim Crockett. Oh, okay. So he got involved with Jim Crockett Promotions as a ring announcer and eventually as a play-by-play man, which landed him a spot with the WWF where he worked from 1989 through 1990. Um, it's one of those things that's really easy to forget until you're, like, mm-hmm. bopping around the network and you watch that 1990 Royal Rumble oh, and Shivani's yeah. the lead announcer. Mm-hmm. It's it's really just bizarre when you when you find that show. Yeah. Uh, Primarily used as a backstage interviewer, he was the play-by-play voice for both SummerSlam 1989 and the 1990 Royal Rumble. Eventually, WCW would offer him more than WWF was paying him, and that, plus the opportunity to return to Atlanta, where his family felt more comfortable than in Stamford, Connecticut, saw him return to WCW, where he really is... um, it's funny because he's, he's this is his first real appearance announcing on Nitro, the flagship show, but he is the face, the voice of WCW. He announces yes. all of their B-shows yep. mm-hmm. and most of their pay-per-views, uh, so it is it is kind of crazy that it's taken him this long to show up on Nitro.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you're going through the uh, the these Nitro podcasts that we've been doing and you've been hearing uh, Eric Bischoff the whole time, you have to realize that Tony Giovanni is going to be doing the play-by-play for nearly all the Nitros from now on. So this is this is uh, kind of a, a big landmark for Absolutely.
0: Uh, it's, it's a monumental moment in the history of our sport. Yes. Uh, Tony might say himself. <laughs> yes, he might say. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, I think we mentioned it way back on the first episode, but really the reason why Bischoff, and he's pretty upfront about it, um, why he inserted himself as the lead announcer on the show rather than Shivani is he's much more telegenic than shivani yeah um shivani not a handsome man not a not a horrid ugly man but he's not a pretty face on him i would say plainish and 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 it it sounds like bischoff is tooting his own horn and to a degree he is but he was i mean he was a former model Mm -hmm. um so i don't think like you can't argue that he's objectively attractive especially back in 1996
1: so yeah Yeah, he he looks like a uh like a weatherman right pretty much
0: (laughs) absolutely I, i don't
1: know i think he's there's I, at some point I think he's referred to as like the weatherman or
0: something like that. Well, we'll see uh, on this show. He's referred to as the Kendall wannabe. Yeah, several times. Okay. <laughs> the living legend, Larry Zabisco, uh born Larry Wheeler, by the way, Zabisco is a name that he took on as uh, a former collegiate wrestler who turned pro and was trained by WWF legend, Bruno Sammartino making his debut way back in 1973. He wrestled all over though, mainly in the Northeast territories, Uh, Certainly the most notable feud of his career, he challenged his old mentor, San Martino, to an exhibition match due to his continual frustration at being unable to move out from Bruno's sizable shadow. This match, which took place in 1980, saw Bruno dominate his protege until a frustrated Sabisco attacked him with a chair, leaving San Martino in a pool of blood and cementing Larry's status as one of the WWF's biggest heels. After the feud ran its course, Zabisco left the WWF and wrestled in various territories, including two stints in the AWA. He, in fact, was the AWA World Heavyweight Champion in December of 1990 and was stripped of that title when he chose to leave the organization. And when the AWA declared bankruptcy and folded in 1991, they had not yet crowned a new champion, making Larry Zabisco the last AWA World Heavyweight Champion. Hmm. Zabisco joined WCW and would wrestle there throughout 1991 and 1992 before retiring from in-ring competition and moving to color commentator. He has been the color commentator of WCW Pro, and the only time that we've seen him as part of this podcast, as I mentioned, was when he was one of the three teams uh, who announced the 60-man battle royal at World War III. Shivani welcomes us to this Memorial Day edition of Nitro and hypes the show has moved to two hours. He lets us know that hour number two will still be hosted by Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan, though notably absent is Mongo, who is off preparing for his big match.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they use the term "host" instead of like an announcer. That is weird. Yeah, um, and that, along with uh, Eric Bischoff, occasionally hyping up these Nitro parties. Oh yeah. Um, I, it seems like they're trying to present Nitro more
0: as like a, a, an experience, really, than an event. That's a yeah. That's that's a good point. Uh, Sting and Scott Steiner are going to be in our main event, a singles match between the two that Shivani believes is the first televised singles match between the two. And my research actually shows that to be correct. Uh, I tried looking into it and I could not find it. They've, they've been on opposite sides of many televised tag team and pay-per-view matches. Mm-hmm. But I could not find any singles matches between the two.
1: Yeah, because when it comes to wrestling, the first thing to assume is like, no, these people have faced before. So I did the same thing. I tried to see, and I couldn't find one either. So I think this is a legitimate Sting Scott Steiner one-on-one for the first time. Now,
2: Shivani
0: would... one for one <laughs> with with facts.
2: Yes,
1: <laughs> good percentage, which I'm sure will stay high as a, as we go on. Batting a thousand. Um, so I think it's a very interesting match. I'm just not sure if you would consider this a main event quality match.
0: Especially, certainly in a couple of years, it would be. Right now, it's um, tough to see. I mean, Signer has had singles runs in the past, but mm-hmm. right—I mean—he's definitely considered a tag team guy right now. Yeah. Um, so I was excited for that match, but I think—I mean—I'm living with 20 years of hindsight to mm-hmm. know kind of what Scott Snyder can become on his own. Yeah. So it certainly, at the time, it is an interesting choice for a main event, especially because babyface, babyface, and they're not really in programs with each other at all. I mean, they have been um, having a couple. Uh, well, it kind of starts here you know, where they they sort of rub each other the wrong way a little bit. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. It is kind of an an interesting pick, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, it it seems like um, right now what they're going with with Sting and Luger and the Steiners is that they're they're trying to have these friendly tag team title matches, but uh, the Steiners always seem to be upset at the end because either Luger did something questionable or, or even Sting saw him do something questionable and didn't, like, you know, Rip on his partner or something like that. I don't know. It's like the Steiner's always, it seems like every match they have, they they feel slighted at the end. (laughs) They're always upset and they're always shouting about being upset too.
0: I imagine we'll have a lot uh, to say over the coming weeks and months about Larry Zbysko, but I will say that he starts strong uh, by saying that Sting has been, quote, emotionally befuddled by the actions of Lex Luger, and that his paranoia is fueled by the rumors that come from the, quote, armchair champions. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was great. I thought that whole little bit of analysis of Sting right now is, you know, he he can't really trust his partner, and that distrust has been, like, pushed forth by the fans who, like, think they know what's going on but really don't. I thought that was a great bit of insight for Larry to start off on, uh, and I I was really impressed because I personally – um, have not been exposed to Zabisco's announcing very much, mm-hmm. and then he. But then he proceeds
1: to say that this is Steiner's golden opportunity to capture a major reputation of Sting, <laughs> <laughs> which it's like it's close. He's very close to getting that right, but it. But putting that together, I'm like, not that doesn't really make yeah, sense. Yeah, I don't think when you beat a man, you get his reputation. Right. It's not. Re- <laughs> it's not reputation's not like a championship. Um, and then we also find out that uh, later on tonight that the Giant will be defending the World Heavyweight Championship, the number one championship in WSW, mm-hmm. against the Shark. Yeah. Who we know from past weeks totally deserves a tell match. <laughs> uh,
0: I would like to also say, uh, before we move too far away from the announcers, that in a bit of major 90s, uh, they're wearing you, banded collar shirts. Uh, where they oh, have like yeah. a button-up shirt with no real collar. It's got like the band, almost like a priest around the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big thing. I remember actually um, being on speech team uh, with, with – do it and we were in a category, my friend and I, where you did a dramatic reading with a partner, and we both wore those shirts, and it was just like looking at those pictures now is embarrassing. The yeah. banded collar <laughs> did not age well. <laughs> um, I feel like this is also a week in which like
1: fashion statements are going to be a major
0: part of our analysis. <laughs> Uh, So, yeah, like you said, the Giants can be staying on the shark. Flair and Arn Anderson will be in tag team action to prepare themselves for their Great American Bash match. Uh, Colonel Robert Parker has a new client and so much more. (laughs) Out for our first match are the American Males. And uh, it seems like there's a little bit of change in kind of the production of WCW where you actually they kind of toss it to Penzer and you hear Penzer's announcement. Which is is kind of been rare on Nitro. Usually, it's kind of in the background while the announcers talk over him. Yeah, and they still do a fair amount of that. But in, in at least for this first match, you hear him. It's very clear. He announces the American Males. They come out and mm-hmm. they're very hyped. I thought it was a positive change. I really I liked it. I I thought it kind of it was just a little bit different, and I I yeah.
1: enjoyed that tweak. Yeah, and and I know in the past it's been difficult to understand until like later on if like certain matches are title matches or not because you can't hear. Penzer announced it being a title match.
0: During their entrance, Larry refers to the American males as the young and the useless. Yeah. Which I, I, that was good. Good line. Yeah, I have, I have I have
1: that note here too.
0: Outcome Flair and Arn, and I've never really thought about it before, but it's weird how Flair is billed from Charlotte despite being from Minneapolis, and Arne is billed as being from Minnesota despite being from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a weird inversion that both those guys... <laughs> involve minnesota the one who's from here isn't from here and the one who is definitely not from here <laughs> <Right>. somehow is <laughs> uh they are announced as representing the horsemen so we know that that is still a faction despite being down a member and rarely uh, the three that are still in appearing all together right we've got pink robe flair and the women are wearing matching sparkly green outfits the women of course being woman and miss elizabeth mm-hmm Flair entices them to spin, but we don't actually see if they do or not, as we cut to a bored-looking youngster giving a very half-hearted thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> to start off with, we get Flair and Bobby Riggs. Uh, they go back and forth until Flair gets Riggs on the outside, where he and Arm double-team old Scotty. Randy Anderson is actually enforcing the rules tonight, as after a spot on the outside, uh, Arn rolls into the ring with, uh, with Riggs, despite Arn not having been tagged in. Mm-hmm. And Randy Anderson comes over and actually forces him out.
1: Yeah, at some point right before the match begins, uh, Larry Zbysko pretty much suggests that Mongo would be better off getting a divorce from his wife rather than wrestling Ric Flair. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's suggesting, as other people are suggesting, that if Ric Flair wants to sleep with Debra, he's going to sleep with Debra. So I I wrote that Larry Zbysko is not a person you get
0: advice from. Kevin Green, we're told, is going to be going on Jay Leno tomorrow to promote the upcoming pay-per-view match, and that's a smart leverage uh, of Kevin Green's celebrity. That's certainly why you book Kevin Green in a match, so that you can capitalize on those types of opportunities to promote the show. Larry uh, tells us that Green lost the Super Bowl for Pittsburgh, so the Steelers threw him off the team, and now he has to play for some podunk town in North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Larry Zbysko also refers to to Arn Anderson
1: as an endomorphic human being supreme. And when I looked it up, endomorphic suggests he has a body that tends to keep and gain fat.
0: Interesting.
1: So I uh, there's another one that's a mesomorphic, which is a robust muscular body build. And I think that's a word he was going that for. Might be. But there's like three different types of bodies and he probably read them and then memorized the wrong one.
0: You know, as I sort of mentioned earlier, um, we're, we're going to be recording a few episodes over this weekend while I'm here visiting Dave. And I know for a fact he uses that word endomorphic on another show because I have it in my notes somewhere, but it's not here. Mm-hmm. So that is not, e- like, he makes that mistake continuously, apparently. Yeah. I, I'm i pretty <laughs> sure it's about Arn Anderson as well. It is. It yeah. absolutely is. And yeah.
1: I, I think I think his, like, description, I think he, like, goes double or nothing <laughs> on the next one, too, so... Listen for that for like next week or maybe the week after. I don't know when it is.
0: but By the way, as I uh, go through my notes here, um, uh, we mentioned this in a past show when we talked about the switch to two hours. Uh, I'm going to move a little bit away from calling every single move of matches as I did in the past because uh, two hours, it, it takes a lot of time and research to watch, take notes, read observers, read biographies, try to find shoot interviews. Um, so to try to keep these things a little bit compressed and this one probably won't be because we're talking a little bit about where we've been and the state of things, and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to make sure that we don't go too long in every single episode, I, I, I'm not going to be calling every match as much. Arn gets tagged in and works over Riggs before quickly bringing Flair back in. Flair tosses Riggs to the outside again and they try double teaming him, but this time Riggs dodges and Bagwell shows up and the baby faces take over. They get the horsemen back in the ring where Bagwell hits a body drop while Riggs hits ten punches in the corner before Bagwell clotheslines Flair out of the ring. Arn and Flair regroup on the outside. Flair heads over to the VIP table and grabs a bottle of champagne and then marches towards the ring like he's just going to go clobber them with a full bottle of champagne. Right. But then he stops and tries handing it to Woman... Then woman and flair head back to the VIP table together and he sets the bottle down. So I guess she talked him out of it or something, but it's a, it's a, it came across very odd. I, I thought it was a really unique way to show
1: frustration in a match by trying to get your manager drunk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if woman, I, I don't want woman to see this sober. I don't want her to right. know.
1: <laughs> also at that point, I'm pretty sure a spare referee is being responsible for the catering. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of sucks. It's like one of them drew the short yeah, straw. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Arn and Bagwell both get tagged in, and Arn tosses Bagwell to the outside because uh, apparently three times in the first couple minutes, it was not enough. Uh, They're on the outside. He tries to line Buff against the ring post, but Buff ducks. And uh, I guess it's not even Buff. It's Marcus Alexander Bagwell. I, I just kind of skip ahead a year and go <laughs> start calling him Buff. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, Arn ends up clotheslining the steel post as we go to commercial. When we come back, Bagwell is stuck in the heel's corner, but he's actually in control, punching both horsemen. He hits a big back body drop on Flair and tags in Riggs. Riggs tries coming off the ropes, but Flair drops down and uses his legs to lock around Riggs' ankle and hold him in place as Arn comes over to chop the back of Riggs' knee. Arn then starts working the leg. Shivani and Larry are now enjoying some champagne brought over to them by Woman and Liz. Uh, Tony, um, because he loves marking things as like big or the first or whatever, he mentions that announcers drinking champagne is probably the first time that it's ever happened in our sport.
1: Yeah. Um, At this point, I wanted to just point out because uh, I mean, essentially this is just a way to kind of uh, hype up and, and and make Arn Anderson, Ric Flair look impressive going into their big pay-per-view match. But um, you might initially think that the American males are not making the horsemen look very good. But this is just the style of Ric Flair. Absolutely. Ric Flair loves selling for guys and making a match look competitive and also cheating. I mean, he doesn't have to cheat in order to beat Scotty Riggs. Right. But that's just the way Ric Flair is. Um, I mean, and at first, because I know I've seen matches before on Nitro Wars, like, man, Ric Flair just letting this guy beat him up. I think it was like VK Wall Street. VK Wall Th- that Street?
0: was a match for sure. Flair versus VK. Yep. Yeah.
1: But then you just realize that's the way Ric Flair wrestles. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, absolutely. The other guy has to get in offense. He has to cheat to win because he's the dirtiest player in the game. So
0: we're getting like vintage Ric Flair here. Buff tries getting in. And while the ref is distracted, Flair works Riggs leg before Arn takes over doing the same. Shivani notes that all this work to the leg is to set up the figure four. while Larry points out how the horsemen have cut the ring in half and keep Riggs isolated on the side with their corner very basic effective announcing like Mm -hmm. those are you know um you could say like that's the kind of thing that they say in every match well you know you watch any baseball game and they'll tell you that a pitcher wants to establish the inside pitch like just because they say it every time doesn't mean it's not effective and it's not a necessary part Mm -hmm. of the announcing so i really like when they cover those kinds of basics yeah arn has been firmly in control but after catching riggs's kick attempt he's hit by an enziguri that sends him through the ropes into the floor Flair comes into the ring but is stopped by Randy Anderson and they do that bit that Flair loves uh, where he gets into a shoving match with a ref and starts selling for the ref. God, he loves that. (laughs) He does. I'm sure I've mentioned on this show, but he talks about it in his book a little bit about how uh, he started it when he was NWA champion. And, like, former NWA champions told him how much they hated that spot that he would sell for the referee as champion. Yeah. But he just didn't give a shit. He just – because (laughs) he loves getting guys over. The ref get over. The opponent get over. Like, just everybody get over. Yeah. Arn climbs back into the ring and tags in Flair right as Riggs finally completes his long crawl to Bagwell. Bagwell has a decent hot tag, which culminates in a nice-looking missile dropkick from the top rope right to Flair's kisser. He gets a two-count due to Arn breaking up the pin. Riggs comes in to hit Arn, and Randy Anderson forces him out of the ring. Unseen by Randy Anderson, Bagwell gets a small package on Flair, but Arn rolls it over as Anderson turns around. Anderson counts two on Bagwell, but but Riggs comes and rolls it over, and Randy Anderson, after admonishing Riggs, counts two again, (laughs) but Flair manages to kick out. All four men are now in the ring brawling. Randy Anderson backs up Riggs and misses Bagwell catch flair with a bridging fisherman suplex uh which i will always refer to as the perfect plex yep uh but arn kicks bagwell to break up the pin anyway it's absolute chaos now and bagwell tries pinning flair near the ropes but woman gouges his eyes randy anderson warns her but doesn't call for a dq and (laughs) also doesn't see arn ddt bagwell an exhausted flair rolls over and covers bagwell with his arm for the one two three all in all, I'd say that was a pretty decent match. Uh, it went to the outside a little bit too much and got it kind of chaotic, uh, but I did like that Flair and Arne barely won, uh, which kind of helps put over a young team that should have, you know, a good amount of upside in the American males.
1: Yeah, and, and it's also, like I was mentioning before, I mean, Flair and Arn Anderson are of a higher caliber than the American males are at this point, but it's just in the nature of the four horsemen to cheat to win.
0: Right. And, you know, they're building up to this match with Mongo and Kevin Green. And, um, you know, those are you could look at it as like people are, you know, those are two tough guys, legitimate, quote unquote, athletes who are Mm going to come in and just show these horsemen what like a real athlete looks like or whatever. But you see how they've got like this crafty veteran mentality where they know all the tricks and -hmm. and stuff that the uh, football guys are just not going to know. Yeah. So I, I think it kind of fits into the story that they're trying to tell with that match as well. Flair cools himself off after the match by pouring a glass of champagne all over himself. <laughs> we go to Flair and Arne and Woman by the VIP table, and let's hear what they have to say in an audio clip. Right, thank you
3: very much, Tony Schiavone. Ladies, Arne Anderson, Elizabeth Woman, Rick Flair. Come on in, if you would, please, very quickly. I think maybe you and Mr. Anderson here have dug a bit of a hole for yourself because at the Great American Bash, June the 16th, In Baltimore, Maryland, live on pay-per-view. Yes, you're gonna be facing none other than Steve McMichael, his partner, Kevin Green. What a bombshell.
2: Let me tell Green and McMichaels, like it is, I never met a football player that I couldn't walk over the top of to get to a better fight. I never saw a woman that Ric Flair couldn't have just like that. It just so happens, McMichaels, it's your old lady. Now, we don't respect anybody that has to wear protective gear. Because when you come into our house, it's man to man, hand to hand. Keep that in mind when you come and see the horsemen.
3: You are eyeballed Deborah McMichael for here, a long time. Uh, come in here, girls. Uh, ladies.
4: We got a new saying, Liz, woman, myself, double A. We've been to the Keys all weekend. We got a new saying. Rockets at night, woo! Afternoon light. McMichael, green, wherever you are, and I don't care how many times I'll throw, you've been in your lifetime. Commissioner Pete Rosell, better step in now. You know why? You want to know why? Woo! Hey, hey, hey! Come on, player,
3: don't make up.
4: That's why, McMichael, while you've been playing football, I've been making up our lost time down Austin Way. Deborah belongs to the nature boy.
3: Well, I don't know about that. Elizabeth, what are your feelings about, uh, is this too timing in your estimation?
5: Oh, no, the champ can have anything he wants.
3: Oh, please. And you know
4: what? And Another little secret. You know, Savage, everybody thought that I was lizard Woman's sugar daddy. Wrong with your bank, bankroll, brother. She's
3: me and Double A. Thank you very sugar much. I'm Mama. sorry. Stay tuned. Woo! More Nitro continues. Tony, let's get back to you, pal. Woo! Thanks a
0: lot, me. So that was a pretty standard promo, uh, the highlight of which I felt was Flair uh, singing Afternoon Delights. Yep. And I also like that Liz saying the Chance can do whatever he wants uh, after Gene asked basically if it would bug her that Flair wants to fuck Deborah. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's just like, no, he's the champ. I don't care. Like, do whatever he wants. Okay. And and I also like that
1: uh, he was suggesting that um, after the, the beating they put on McMichael and Kevin Green that they're going to need to call Pete Roselle. Whose ten years commissioner ended in nineteen eighty nine,
0: and then Flair does not watch a lot of football. I yeah, it.
1: and then I also like the fact that even though he has this feud going, he still manages to bring up Randy Savage and spending his money, and I just appreciate that because uh, Rick Flair is recognizing the the continuity. Because at this point, Randy Savage is not there because he's not allowed in the building. I mean, right. that's an angle that's still going on, but. Uh, yeah,
0: and, uh, and it's good to keep it in the back of our mind because there are developments with Randy Savage as a part of this program that are going to be important leading up to Great American Bash. Yes. When we come back uh, from commercial, we see Shivani, uh, and he tosses us to a good old-fashioned training montage of Mongo and Kevin Green working out in the gr- gym. Uh, true to 90s form, they do that thing where they lower the frame rate so it looks choppy, like yes. artificially. Mm-hmm. I-, I don't know why that was ever a thing. That's such <laughs> a weird choice. I'm glad that that has faded from use. <laughs> It's like you only see that in, like, um, things like montages and, uh, like, reenactments of crimes, you know, like on Rescue 911 or something. Yeah, yeah, that's it. (laughs) Uh, Kevin Green looks so fucking dumb with his braided rat tail and his mustache. Mm -hmm. He, at uh, Clash of the Champions, with his, like, He-Man look of a clean-shaven face and the longer blonde hair... I think he was very uh, charismatic. Now he looks like a complete goofus. Yeah, he—it's really, really <laughs> poor choices. Um, he kind of reminded me, and I think you'll appreciate this as a Vikings fan. He kind of reminded me of Jared Allen, oh, where Jared yeah. Allen would just like grow a mullet to be like funny, you know? He, yeah. But he's—I don't think he's trying to be funny. I think he likes his <laughs> braided rat tail and his mustache. <laughs> Uh, they get some kind of just general grunting and gym talk. At the end, they both rip off Hogan's catchphrase, talking about, like, what she going to do, and Mongo, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yep. There's also a part where they're, I forget if it's lifting or, like, punching a bag, and they're just going, flare, 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 every time they punch or lift yeah. or whatever it oh, is. Oh, that was, uh, Mongo was doing the bells.
1: Or, like, he was lifting weights. He was doing, yes, every yes. every uh, rep he was doing, he was saying, flare, flare. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just to make sure that we know why they're working out. After the montage, Larry very smartly points out that powerlifting is not going to help them beat Flair and Arn. They need wrestling training. (laughs) (laughs) Vince McMahon may disagree with you, Larry, but I don't.
1: (laughs) 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 That's a very good point. It's like, yeah, they're big guys. I I don't feel like they need more workouts in order to face them. It is the aspect of like they're going to have a wrestling match and these two have never wrestled before. They've definitely been in gyms before. Right, Right, yeah. It's It was a
0: really, really good point. All right, after that, a young man named Steve Dahl comes out and makes it all the way to the ring in his black and white Mr. Perfect rip-off singlet before the announcers even mention him at all. And when they do, it's Shivani saying, Steve Dahl is in the ring. <laughs> before he pivots back to talking more about uh, the Horsemen and and. Uh, football guys. Yeah. Steve Dahl, real name Steve Dahl, is a native <laughs> Texan who has been wrestling since the mid-1980s. His greatest success came when he teamed with Rex King to form the Southern Rockers. That team would be picked up by the WWF in 1993 to form the team of Dave, we want to take a guess? um well done? Yes. Timothy <laughs> Well and Stephen Dunn aka well done. He joined WCW only recently and has been in losing efforts on Saturday night against Eddie Guerrero and Jushin Liger and a tag team loss where he paired with Pat Tanaka against Ric Flair and Chris Benoit. Colonel Robert Parker is out with his new client, The Mauler. <laughs> he is also almost completely down the aisle before his presence is addressed. <laughs> the Mauler is veteran wrestler Mean Mike Enos. Enos? Enos? Uh, One of the two. And this is uh, the character's WCW debut, though not Enos's. Though born in Ohio, Enos's career began in Minnesota, where he was trained with frequent uh, 20-year-of-nitro name-drop Eddie Sharkey. He was one half of the AWA Tag Team Champions Destruction Crew, along with Wayne The Train Bloom. And those two joined WCW in 1990 and were rechristened the Minnesota Wrecking Crew 2, managed by original Minnesota Wrecking Crew member Ole Anderson. The team failed to gain any traction, and they were out of WCW before 1990 was even over. Uh, That team then joined the WWF, where they were repackaged as Dave. You want to take a guess? The Beverly Brothers? The Beverly Brothers! Man, your knowledge of new generation tag teams, (laughs) I would not have been able to get those. (laughs) After a promising start, the team's fortunes uh, soon faded, and after Bloom retired in 1993, Inos was used sporadically as a jobber. After leaving the WWF in 1994, he has appeared occasionally in New Japan before finding his way back stateside uh, to join World Championship Wrestling. These guys both seem to be completely uh, lacking in the charisma department. Yes. Mm -hmm. Especially the mauler, uh, who has a face he kind of looks like the Sandman from ECW. Mm -hmm. He's wearing pink and black wrestling pants under black leather chaps, and he came out with a leather vest. So, I think he's like a cowboy who just happens to enjoy mauling as a hobby. <laughs> right. I guess we'll never... It's a, it's a side <laughs> practice. Uh, we could expect to, to find out in his character development, but I suspect we're never going to find out.
1: <laughs> he's also one of those rare guys in the 90s that, when he was repackaged, they got rid of his Yeah, <laughs>
0: That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Mahler seizes control early with a release belly to belly suplex that honestly looked really good. Yeah. Um it's one of a few power moves that he hits in this match where you're like, okay, I can see why this guy's had a career. Yeah. Um, even though, like I said, he there's no charisma about him, nothing magnetic to his personality at all. Uh Mauler sets doll laying across the top rope in the corner and then stands on the second rope and hits a second rope fallaway slam that was really sweet. Yep. Uh he, he moves very slow and he's not very interesting, but like I said, those power moves are great. Larry says that you can see a person's soul when you look into their eyes and he's about to say what he sees in the Mauler's eyes when Tony straight up interrupts him to say, "Well, what did you see in Mongo and Kevin Green's eyes? <laughs> they may as well put like a crawl along the bottom that just says these guys do not matter.
2: <laughs> right. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I mean, I'm just guessing, but I just imagine Bischoff in Shivani's ear going like pivot that conversation back to Mongo <laughs> like don't worry about what's in the mauler's eyes (laughs) right the mauler stays into control until he picks doll up and charges towards the ropes and they both flip over to the outside shivani says that there's no disqualification because it was the momentum of both men that took him to the outside so i guess despite 36 weeks of ignoring it uh going over the top rope is still considered a uh, disqualification
1: yeah and it's just it's just really iffy it just really depends on the situation or if like if a wrestler sends another guy over the top rope, maybe when they didn't mean to, right? <laughs> then they ignore it. So it's kind of touch and go.
0: Uh, these two brawl on the outside with Mauler getting in all the offense as we go to commercial. As we come back, the Mauler is still in control, but thanks to a wide shot, you can see a very large man walking down the steps in the crowd, uh, wearing an unbuttoned denim vest with no shirt under it. The action continues, but the camera cuts to a closer shot, And it is Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall of the WWF. As we've talked about in the past during some of our news segments, he gave the WWF his 90-day notice, missed WrestleMania 12 thanks to a a sort of retribution drug suspension from the WWF, and finished up with the company back in May 19th at the infamous curtain call. He walks down the steps through the crowd, hops some barricades, demands and gets a microphone. By the time he gets into the ring, Steve Dahl is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> yes. I don't know where he went. It's like he he's a magician. He just threw down some powder and vanished <laughs> without a trace. The mauler lingers for a second, but Colonel Robert Parker manages to get him out of the ring.
1: Yeah, he seems, it's like he's led away. Like
0: he's just some like meathead that doesn't even know like where to position himself. I'd be very curious, um, and without the internet, it may not have been as big a deal, but I'd be very curious if they tried to keep it secret, and if they were, what exactly they would have told Mahler and Steve Dahl was going to happen. Oh, sure. Yeah. I imagine since it's not like this was going to leak on um, the internet. I mean, there there was the internet, of course, but it just was not at all the same thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, it was ju- if they could just be like, yeah, Scott Hall's coming out and interrupting your match. Right, you know? yeah. Uh, anyway... Certainly, uh, this is one of the most famous uh, and important wrestling promos, not in just WCW history, but in wrestling history. So we will give it all to you right now in an audio clip.
3: Welcome back live to the first hour of this edition of WCW Monday Nitro on TNT. Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. And we are taking a look at the mauler completely maul. His opponent, Steve Dahl. Well, you know, Steve. What? Steve Gall was trying to get hell? an offensive going. Wait a minute. But, but
4: what
0: the hell but is going what? on here?
4: But the Mauler. Well, he just got reversed right That's there. The about. Mauler runs him down. What are you talking about? Look, look here.
6: Well, What's what the, the hell? hell? Wait a minute. Somebody give
3: me a mic. mic. What's so, this? Wait, a wait, we need security. I, we, I have no idea. Hey. Wait a minute.
6: I can't, believe it. I can't believe what I'm seeing. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where is billionaire Ted? Where is the nacho man? That punk can't even get. In the building, me, I go wherever I want, whenever I want. Listen, and where, oh where, is Scheme Gene? Cause I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll look when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for Billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> Hey, you want to go to war? You want a war?
3: You're gonna get one. Fans, I, what about the match? I don't know what to say. Randy Anderson's coming. Randy, Randy, what's going on here? What about the match, Randy? What what what's going? The match is match fans, we got to go to a break. The match left. I have no idea what to say. Stay with us.
0: Sweet. Uh, well, Dave, what did you think of the promo from uh, Razor Ramon there? I
1: thought it was a really nice touch that um, Razor Ramon made a bunch of billionaire Ted skit references. Yes. Um, especially the names. Um, because it, it it just kind of like adds a little bit more to the idea that maybe he was sent by WWF.
0: It instantly takes something that Vince did to run down his competition and makes it into an extremely hot angle for his competition. Yeah, it is a that touch of using that as cannon fodder in this war was genius. Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, it in it, it, it it's very ob- intentionally vague sure. as far as his like challenge is concerned um and it,
0: it seems like the announcers really don't know what to do with this <laughs> i would agree, yeah um although speaking of the announcers uh you know one of the best touches to this promo the thing that sells it as a legitimate interruption of the show is that he comes in through the crowd because mm-hmm. if he came in through the back it'd be a little more obvious that it's part of the show uh and the idea of him coming through the crowd was larry zabisco's oh. uh, that was his contribution to the creative of this angle and i think that such a simple thing is uh, brilliantly sells the yeah. entire angle. So hats off to you, Mister yeah. Zabisco.
1: Unfortunately, the 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 cameras catch Razor Ramon walking to the back at the end. Yes. After, after he talks. <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, I know, I know. Retrospect is twenty twenty or whatever, but it would have made to me. It would have been more effective if he left through the crowd again. I don't know if they they consider like the risks of like. Him going through the crowd now, everyone knows that he's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I believe Tony Schiavone made some reference to getting security out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if they would have been able to do something where security tries to chase him away, try again, but he, he runs away, yeah, it would have been more effective as far as making it really look like that he wasn't like not allowed in the in the building. But um, and also at the very end, you could see that Randy Anderson is on the on the apron, yeah. demanding that he leaves, and <laughs> Razor Ramon completely acquiesces to that <laughs> request. He puts his hands up to make sure that there's no funny business with yeah. the referee, and then leaves the Well, hey,
0: Randy Anderson, we see him shove former world champion Ric Flair to the ground on a routine basis. And you don't want to fuck with Randy Anderson. And, and I'll shove you, too. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, um, in terms of scripting, Hall was only given the line, uh, "You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here." Everything else was completely uh, come up with by Hall himself.
1: Oh, so, so he he gets credit for using the billionaire Ted.
0: Yeah, he so basically he was given that line, and mm-hmm. then him and Bischoff outlined the rest of it. But the words he was you know pretty much given free rein to come up with it. Okay. Um. So I I think it was Bischoff's probably idea to use the billionaire Ted stuff. But the the words, the phrasing that that came right from the old okay. dome of Scott Hall.
1: Yeah, so it it seems like that he wanted uh, Hall Razor Ramon to know that you have to be vague about this. Yeah, you you can't like make a reference as far as who you're with. You know, that was like kind of the key for them because they wanted that 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 question as far as is he with WCW or is this like legitimate.
0: Now, Hall uh, promises that he's going to be back in hour two, which I think is a fantastic move to fight off uh, Raw from leeching your viewers Mm -hmm. to say, you know, uh, you got to stick around because I'm going to be back in the next hour. I think that's great. And Tony very quietly sends us uh, to commercial. Uh, So my question to you, Dave, is and it's, it's impossible to completely divorce yourself from the things you know in hindsight, but given how... Earth-shattering! This has come to be seen today. Did it feel that way to you, watching it, um, within the context of all the nitros to that point?
1: Um, I think, and I made a note of this when they came back from commercial, with the idea that the the kind of moved on, like they went back to the regular like scripted out right. programming. Yep, yep. I feel like it was very effective. I mean, they could have easily just dedicated the rest of the show to just talking about what happened. Yeah. But the fact that they did not go back to talking about it, I thought worked really well to make it seem like this was not planned out. We're just going to get back to what we already have planned out for the show. Absolutely. Um. So I, I did, I think it does. I think it, it did work really well. I mean, again, I, in retrospect, like the way that he exits kind of throws a little bit of a wet blanket on it. But other than that, I think it, it, it's like it's something at that time we never saw. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since like I mean like a wrestler in the audience alone is something that's unusual. Right. I mean I mean ECW probably I mean it's probably all over the place, <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh no, um I, I do I do remember these nitros at the time when I was watching them, but this was I know this is before I even like use internet. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't remember if it was unusual, if I felt like it was unusual or not. I don't remember that. But uh, no, I think I think this worked really well. Um, as the show goes on, there's some things that I think they do that I question later on. But the, the one segment alone of him coming in, not caring that there's a match, saying his, his piece and then being like, yeah, deal with that. Yeah. I think it worked really well.
0: All right. Well, when we come back from commercial, uh, as Dave pointed out, Tony and Larry just completely no sell the Scott Hall promo as Sergeant Craig Pittman, who has uh, turned baby face since we last saw him. Uh, we last saw him. He was a heel. He was looking for a manager uh, on the B shows. He has found that manager in Teddy Long, mm-hmm. uh, and he is now a baby face. Um, Playing up sort of the natural babyface U.S. Marine angle. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre that I mean, I guess he was a drill sergeant, which people tend to associate as kind of a negative uh, stereotype. But yeah, now they're just playing. You know, this guy was a former Marine, he's a hero. Cheer for him. Yeah. Uh, so he comes out, and he's going to be taking on DDP, who was wearing green and purple gear, which is a huge step down from the pink and white gear that we saw him in on uh, last week's Nitro. Yeah. Uh. One thing worth pointing out here is uh, the resentment among some of the back over DDP's push, uh, which is just kind of taking off now with the uh, Lord of the Rings victory yes. uh, that he had at Slambury. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh Some of the back feel like he he really just got that because he's friends with Bischoff, um, and they're insisting that that friendship, which goes all the way back to when uh, Diamond Dallas Page helped Bischoff during his uh, audition for WCW. I oh, think we've yeah. talked about it before. They, they knew each other in the AWA, but Bischoff did not like DDP. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Bischoff was there auditioning for WCW, and DDP actually really helped him out. Mm, okay. um, so so they kind of go way back. Uh, and a lot of people thought that that's kind of why DDP was getting this push. And at one point, uh, though I'm not sure if this was the case in May of 96, they were actually neighbors and very good friends.
1: Yeah, I remember that there was always that running joke that DDP would mow his lawn. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, I remember that that was a thing that... that most people knew that they, they were literally neighbors at one point,
0: you know, and and uh, I guess you could argue that DDP was giving opportunities because of that friendship. I don't know that he was, but you could certainly make the argument. But I don't think uh, you could deny that he made the most of those opportunities. I mean, the man is oh, going yeah. into the Hall of Fame. Uh, WrestleMania this year, mm-hmm. not only for his uh, many accomplishments in the ring, but certainly a lot of his accomplishments outside of the ring, helping out uh, Scott Hall, who we saw earlier in Jake yeah. the Snake and and a lot of others. So um, yeah, I
1: would I would say Diamond Dallas Page is, was a, uh, a a career overachiever. Sure. Um, he, he doesn't have a very good look. You know, he he doesn't look like he's an athlete or anything right. like that. I mean, he's tall. Yes. Um, but he doesn't have much of an athletic body, but. Um, over the years, I I know I grew to appreciate him for the fact that he, like you said, he took advantage of every opportunity he had. He has a lot of charisma, even
0: like in ring charisma, yeah, which is always a plus. Um, and he only started training for wrestling at age like thirty five or some insane thing. I mean, it's yeah. really kind of crazy. Um, his his sort of passion and his, uh, you know, I think it's I think he's driven by even with his DDP stuff and and the. Um, Sober house and all that. I think he's he's driven by self promotion and making a buck. And yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I mm-hmm. think that's you know clearly always been kind of a drive for him. um And if it hadn't been wrestling, it would have been like some other way to become famous, you know. But it's interesting how uh, you can say he got ahead because of cronyism, because of being Bischoff's friend. Well, at least he made the most of it, as opposed to say the Booty Man, who has been given <laughs> so many career opportunities right. thanks to his friendship with Hulk Hogan, yep. and fucking sucks. You, yes. know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's not like they didn't try different things with him. <laughs> he,
1: had, he had more gimmicks. He, he's like one of the tops when it comes to like the most different
0: gimmicks. Yes. And he wasn't good at any of them. All right. Well, here to call all the in-ring action with Diamond Dallas Page versus Sergeant Craig Pittman is our own Dave Amontor. Dave, take it away.
1: All right. Well, the match starts off with uh, Diamond Dallas Page giving a salute to Pittman. And uh, giving him 10 push-ups, which he said he was going to give 10, but he does about four.
0: He also does uh, that thing where he keeps his ass really high when he does his push-ups that some people happen to do, and it's very weird.
1: These are not quality push-ups. Sergeant Greg Pitbull Pitman counters by giving two really weak one arm push ups. Yeah. Speaking
0: of unimpressive push ups, these are, he. I mean, they're one armed in that he has one arm behind his back. Yes. But he has to keep spreading his legs out farther to try to get enough leverage to do it. And then he doesn't really do a push up. He just curls his body in, in a way that kind of resembles a push up. It's, it's cringe. It's, I feel embarrassed for him watching it. Yes. You get the feeling that he used to be able to do one-handed push-ups and they were like, they came with the idea for the spot. He was like, yeah, I can do that. No problem. Yeah. And he just didn't realize that he's older or fatter or whatever. It's one of those things where he he probably is like, yeah, I'll do those,
1: but didn't consider like I should practice at first.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So
1: as he's doing these really terrible arm curl push-up things. Uh, page tries to kick him in the gut but pitman rolls all the way and ddp goes head over heels onto the
0: mat full on cartoon character slipping on a banana peel yes like it it's comical (laughs) and amazing yes (laughs) so they kind of got us back into the match then i i i did the basically the same thing slipping on the ice at the dog park recently yeah and i like either strained a muscle or cracked a rib like it's a (laughs) month later and it still hurts (laughs) so i'm in i'm I mean, the way these guys take these flat back bumps all the time is pretty incredible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> After a couple of shoulder blocks, Pitman covers for only a one count. Uh, Pitbull remains feisty and he tries for a waist lock, but DDP quickly gets to the ropes to break the potential hold. At this point, the camera's close enough where you hear DDP say, What the hell was that? <laughs> In which, it was a waist
0: lock. <laughs> I have almost the exact same note written almost the exact same words. <laughs> Um, At this point, DDP, right
1: after the waist lock, he complains about his tights being pulled, which it doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Um, So then at that point, we get to a more traditional beginning to a WCW matchup, which is the collar and tie up, bringing them into the corner where DDP complains about his hair being pulled. Before delivering the most blatant, obvious eye poke of all time. And <laughs> which the referee apparently doesn't care about or even warns him about. DDP headbutt Pittman, but, uh, you know, it only hurts Paige. But he sells it like a goddamn champion stumbling and falling to the floor before getting tangled up in the
0: television wire. <laughs> he, he tangles himself in those wires so <laughs> hilariously. Yes. Uh, and, I mean, shame on him for thinking you could headbutt an ethnic minority. He <laughs> right. should have known better. Yes. <laughs> but the way that he he just,
1: like, his body went limp and he fell through the ropes, yeah. it was amazing. I was, like, highlight of the match.
0: He has no problems making himself look like a comically inept boob. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pittman reaches out of the ring to get Paige, but Paige catches him with a hangman that nearly pulls him out of the ring. Paige believes a couple kicks to the gut will soften Pittman up for a turnbuckle smash, but the pit bull blocks it and hits a smash of his own. At this point, Larry Zbysko suggests that Kimberly is perhaps the benefactor for Diamond Dallas Page, which I
0: always thought was going to be the reasonable conclusion to the storyline. Yeah, for those who may not remember, uh, Paige was supposedly out of wrestling after losing an I Quit Wrestling match to the Booney Man, uh, but he came back, and it was at the um, sort of will of a mysterious benefactor who gave him a bunch of money so he could uh, pull himself off Skid Row mm-hmm. and a, access to a, quote, New York lawyer uh, <laughs> who was able to, like, find a technicality. because Oh, because the booty man was a substitute in that match. It was supposed to be Johnny B. Bad. Yeah, um, yes. So they were able to use that as a loophole to get Paige back in, and we have so far not learned the identity of this mysterious benefactor, Right. and I'm pretty sure that we would never do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. At the time online, the rumor was it was going to be Ted DiBiase. Ah, that was going to be the
0: benefactor. But well, certainly, Meltzer has been noting in the observers that uh, DiBiase is uh, on his way to the company.
1: Yes, um, and at this point, I'll just say that at, they've decided to hold off DiBiase's debut. So he was not—he was considered for it, but then, then they went a different direction. That would have made
0: sense uh, with the money angle aspect to it. That that certainly would have added up. Yes.
1: Anyway, uh, getting back to the match, we have an Irish whip to the opposite corner, and Craig well, Pittman quickly goes for the co-red on a down page, but he doesn't apply it properly. Teddy Long gets too close to the action, and Paige grabs him and then sends him stumbling back into the barricade.
0: There's there's no reason for Teddy Long to lean in the way he does. Yeah, They're fighting near the ropes, and Teddy Long just leans in, and he's a baby face, so he's not going to cheat. Yeah. I guess he just wanted a better view at what was happening? Yeah, his his motivation
1: for being there is very questionable, <laughs> <laughs> but it sets him up so he can get pushed back into the barricade. This detra- distracts Pittman long enough for DDP to hit the diamond cutter for the three count. A very short, goofy match that, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's about three minutes, I believe. It just
1: continues, you know, DDP's winning matches now. That's kind of all we get out of it. Um, But (laughs) just, I think it's most notable for those awkward push-ups at the very beginning. And really, I don't know, these two don't have a very good chemistry with each other. and, uh, And Pittman seems to uh kind of his finisher he should be able to do the finisher right, right. but he totally messes it up
0: yeah it's partly because Paige is on a stomach when he tries and that's not the correct application of, right across our blight breaker <laughs> um yeah you're right that they have no chemistry because uh Pittman is too green um to do much right and ddp is is only a little further along and that he can have a decent match with someone who is good um, but DDP is not at the point in his career where he can carry a match. Right. I would think some people would argue DDP never fully gets to the point in his career when he can carry a match with a bad opponent. That's not really in his wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, he does eventually with Goldberg. Oh, sure. Yeah. You, you you have a lot more experience with later WCW than I do. Yeah. So.
1: But at this point, certainly not. He need he needs someone like Johnny B. Bad, for example. Yes. Johnny B. Bad yes. made him look really good. And you can see... With some of these kind of like, um, like jobber matches that he's getting yeah. against guys that are inexperienced, that uh, you can see a lot of his flaws.
0: We get a video package for Crazy Macho Man, reminding <laughs> him just kind of what's going on, why he's so crazy. Uh, Liz and Flair are spending all of his money that Liz got in the divorce, and uh, mm-hmm. he's he's he kind of did a proto Stone Cold um you know sort of angry unhinged baby face getting banned the bot you know the wcw executive committee trying to keep him out yeah Uh, and currently he is banned from television uh we go to a commercial following that and when we're back mean gene is with the shark and let's go to a promo just uh because i don't think our audience has ever heard the shark speak before
3: (laughs) all right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to more exciting action on monday nitro live for two solid hours we're back in the locker room area. I'm with Shark. Now, I thought you'd been with the Dungeon of Doom, but apparently you're not uh, sharing a locker room with these gentlemen any yeah. longer.
4: All of a sudden, Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster, real buddy, buddy, huh? Jimmy Hart brings a man in, slamboree, and makes me lose the match. I'm not supposed to be upset. I'm in Jimmy Hart's face. The giant comes, choke slams me. All of a sudden, Taskmaster says, I'm not in the dungeon anymore. Wait a minute, has he officially thrown you out of the dungeon? He threw me out. And Sullivan, tonight, I'm gonna hurt you. I am gonna win the World Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. Tonight, I'm beating the giant. And then I might eat Jimmy Hart off
3: for dessert. All right, I've seen you upset before, Shark, but this is a little uh, atypical, I have to say. Because all of a sudden now, it's the Giant, the WCW Heavyweight yeah. title, and you're going to take yeah. a, a crack at all Jimmy Hart. All of a Hart. sudden,
4: the Giant's the big man on campus. I'm the one that almost ended Hulkamania.
3: Now, I'm going to end the Giant. And speaking of Hulkamania, he has been...
0: So there Hulkamania. you go. We find out that the Shark has been officially uh, kicked out of the Dungeon of Doom. He pledges to uh, hurt the Taskmaster, win the championship, and then eat Jimmy Hart for dessert. <laughs> Uh, so what this is all referring to, because I don't think we, I, I don't think we've talked about it before on the show. Uh, in a pre-show match for Slamboree, uh the Shark was teaming up with Max, uh, formerly Max Muscle, mm-hmm. DDP's um, bodyguard, who we'll see later on the show, against the American Males. And after he lost uh, that match, the Giant wandered down to ringside and chokeslammed him. Oh. Um I guess the the Dungeon was just tired of Shark losing. Yeah. So so that's basically. Uh, all the lead-up to this that we've got. So that's why the Shark and the Giant are facing each other. They're former stablemates uh, who sort of just had that, that messy divorce. Yeah. And right at the beginning when we got
1: to this backstage interview, mean Gene Okerlund says there's more exciting action coming on Monday Nitro, which I object to him saying that when he's <laughs> standing next to the Shark.
0: <laughs> it also implies that we've had exciting action so far. <laughs> well, right. we had that, that opening tag match. That was pretty good. Yeah. All right, Gene now throws to the most fucking ridiculous rah-rah video package for Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And in fact, let's just go to an audio clip. He's American
4: man.
5: Hulk Hogan is more than just the greatest champion in history. He's one of the most popular and recognized athletes in the world. Through the years, many from other walks of life have become his fans. When the holster first arrived at WCW, he called on his longtime friend, boxer and TV star, George Foreman, to help him train. Train Hawk, you got that. You can can take my shots. You can take anybody's shots. The man is ready. And it was NBA superstar Shaquille O'Neal who was with him as he first won the WCW World title. At the Bash at the Beach last July, Dennis Rodman of the Chicago Bulls stood by Hogan during the fierce cage match and Kevin Green, right before heading to the Super Bowl to meet the Cowboys, helped Hogan and Savage at the Clash of the Champions in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! He devotes much of his free time to charities. Recently, he and boxing great Sugar Ray Leonard helped Shaquille O'Neal raise money for a worthy cause at Universal Studios Florida.
6: Hulkamania is back, and don't forget it. you
5: Hulkamaniacs.
6: Hulk Hogan's
4: back on a roll in the WCW, and all I got to say is Sugar Ray's the best there ever was. And
5: listen to this. Hulk is back to stay. Listen. Not only does Hulkamania run wild in World Championship Wrestling, but in the entire sports and entertainment world as well.
0: So there you can hear it. Uh, Hogan is not only the greatest champ in history and one of the most popular athletes in the world, uh, a lot of celebrities are his friends. Yeah. That's basically the point here. Let's let's see some of his celebrity yeah. friends. Yeah. I wrote that
1: we get a vignette of Hulk Hogan and his celebrity friends as a reminder that Hulk Hogan believes he's better than you. Yeah. Oh, but Dave, don't forget that he does charity. <laughs> but only if George Foreman, Shaquille O'Neal, Dennis Rodman. Kevin Green
0: or Sugar Ray Leonard are there. (laughs) Uh, The package ends with a shot of a homemade Hulk rule sign pathetically printed out uh, by one of those like printers where it had the uh, like the strips on the side with little holes and it would pull the paper through and the printer sounded super fucking loud. Yeah. And the idea of someone waiting 20 minutes for one of those printers (laughs) to loudly printed that out fills me with what I call amused sadness, which is a brand new emotion for me. (laughs) Also, um, on closer
1: inspection of this whole uh, video package, yeah, uh, the f- the appearances by Foreman, Shaquille O'Neal, and Dennis Robin are older videos yep. from two years before. Yep. Kevin Green was just from a recent Nitro, so really, this is a whole video showing that he did one charity promotion with Sugar Ray Leonard.
0: <laughs> yes, and, and, and he's that's so he, a-
1: he's like so impressed with himself. He, he's like, you have to show that I did this charity.
0: One charity event with Sugar Ray Leonard and all of the others are celebrities who were with him doing paid appearances for <laughs> right. WCW yeah. pay-per-views and yeah. matches. <laughs> After that, it is time for hour two and we get another small pyro and hype from Eric Bischoff, who is taking over the broadcast alongside Bobby the Brain Heenan. Bischoff says that they have decided not to dignify the interruption that occurred earlier in the show. Though he does repeat uh, that line that Hall gave about the Kendall being a Kendall lookalike. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, I can't believe that jerk had the gall to point out how handsome I am. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, he he's saying it like he's offended, but you know, he's like, can you believe that guy called me handsome? <laughs> right. Oh, where does he get off? <laughs> just because I'm so handsome. <laughs> and
1: then. Bischoff says it, that 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 um, Razor Ramon can come back and speak face to face, so I feel like he's dignifying him with a response there. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right. Also, Bischoff is wearing a jean button down shirt yeah. with a leather vest. <laughs> it's awesome.
0: All right. So this match, uh, you know, you are getting the thing that I always kind of bothers me and it's funny that it happens here with the giant because it really noticeably happened when uh he would later as the big show win his first wwf championship where he was defending that belt in the middle of shows a lot yeah um but it is kind of notable that this would be programmed right against the start of raw so Mm. raw is starting but over on nitro you've got their huge seven foot tall uh champion going into a match so i guess you know you could see it a little bit as um, yeah, he's in the mid-card of the show, but it's in an important spot that's meant to draw ratings away from Raw. So, uh, you know, it's maybe not as egregious as as some other instances. Uh, the shark comes out, and because we all live in a beautiful world, he is still billed from Tsunami. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the announcers keep banging on about this being the first time the giant has wrestled someone who outweighs him, which is probably true. But there is no way the shark weighs over 500 pounds like he's billed at. Right. I doubt he weighs over 400 pounds. I sincerely doubt that he does. <laughs> uh, the belt uh, now says the giant on it. So oh, I like tracking that because WCW has a long history of being uh, lazy about changing those nameplates. <laughs> right. plates. You think they just leave Hulk Hogan on it at all times just because <laughs> you know that's where it's going back to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the shark takes it to the giant with punches, but he can't quite take the big man down. Shark is doing that thing where he's working the jaw, like he, or working his own jaw, not working the Giants, where he's just... Ar, ar, oh, yeah. To show that he's a shark, and it's just <laughs> the weirdest goddamn thing you've ever seen. Uh, shoulder tackles fail to ground the Giant, but a big clothesline from the Giant takes the Shark right down. The Giant then stands on him. Bobby says the Giant is standing on him like he's standing on a curb. <laughs> okay. You can stand on curbs. <laughs> he's standing on him like you'd stand on the ground. <laughs> Bischoff says the shark is a lot of fish sticks over there, Heenan. (laughs) The giant easily body slams the shark, and the crowd is very impressed by that. Bischoff says that he was about to say that he would eat the desk if the giant could pick up the shark, but then he fails to eat the desk having just seen so. Yeah, wait a second. What a fucking welcher. (laughs) The giant with shoulders to the gut and aimless wandering around the ring because he's still pretty friggin' green. Yeah. (laughs) The shark gets a huge big boot in the corner and then comes off the second rope of the clothesline that takes the giant down. But a Jimmy Hart distraction leads to a giant chokeslam for the win in just over four minutes. Uh, Bubba comes out now. Uh, At Slambery, you may remember that Bubba, Big Bubba, switched from the, like, sort of southern gentleman outfit to this new biker look that he has. Yeah. Um, Which is just so random. It still, like, really throws me off. And he cuts off the shark's hair for a bit before switching to an electric razor. They only shave off half the shark's head, though, and the announcers put over that this is a huge sign of disrespect and dishonor. Bischoff says that this is the most disgraceful thing that one wrestler can do to another. (laughs) After we come back from a commercial, out comes Max, who I mentioned before was uh, DDP's Max Muscle. And Bischoff talks about the rude interruption earlier, but is still careful not to say Hall's name. Uh, To give a little more background on Max, give him an official 20 Years of Nitro intro, his real name is John Quachalko? There's a C and a Z and an L and a K and a W. (laughs) I I don't know how to say that. But he is a former bodybuilder and a product of the WCW Power Plant, who originally began appearing on the B-Shows as Big Bad John. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) He was repackaged in 1995 as Max Muscle, DDP's large bodyguard. Around the time of DDP's feud with Johnny B. Bad, Max disappeared, presumably for more seasoning down at the power plant. Since DDP's repackaging, there have not been any hints of their reformation, and now here Max appears, Sam's DDP, without the uh, muscle at the end of his last name, and uh, in only his third singles match in WCW. By the way, over the next few weeks,
1: There is a remarkable amount of power plant guys giving nitro matches.
0: Yeah, the move to two hours really has opened up some opportunities, and a lot of those opportunities are taken up by uh, guys who have literally never wrestled before. Yeah. Lex comes out. Uh, He doesn't have his tag team belt, though he does have his TV title around his waist. Mm -hmm. Bobby says that Max's mohawk is a good haircut if you're going to the electric chair. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, Lockup and Max actually overpowers Lex, which perplexes the total package. Bischoff promotes Kevin Green on Nitro. Bischoff also mentions that Ray Mysterio Jr. will be debuting at the Great American Bash and challenging Dean Malenko for the Cruiserweight Championship. And I say, holy shit! All right, <laughs> uh, I you know I obviously I knew Ray was coming, but as as somebody who's working through these for the first time, I had no idea that that's how he makes his debut. He makes his debut in a pay-per-view match. He doesn't yeah. appear before that. They just say, hey, this guy you probably haven't heard of because mm-hmm. the Internet's not really a thing and he just re- he wrestles in Mexico. Yeah. He's going to be on pay-per-view this. And just with the benefit of hindsight, I'm so goddamn pumped for that. Yeah.
1: And I was kind of uh, feeling a little sla- sad because he's talking about a Dean Malenko-Ray Mysterio match
0: while we're watching Lex Luger <laughs> versus Max. <laughs> Max flexes at Lex, which the nerve of someone Whoa. to flex at Lex Luger. How dare you? Nobody flexes at Lex. It reminds me of uh, uh, Super Smash Brothers. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a move that Samus is up and B where she spins and if, if you touch someone, it hurts them. There's actually an item you can use where if someone's holding that item, it gives them that ability when they jump. And uh, we used to... Played my my f- friend's brother Silas, you know Silas. Yeah, uh, he would always choose Samus. So if you could get that item and then use Samus's own move on Samus, we would just pretend that that was the most like disrespectful thing you could do. Yeah. So if you did that to me, you'd just be like, "Oh
5: damn, I just Samused you, <laughs> Samus. What are you gonna do?"
0: Also, a lot of the uh, the WWF
1: games, like they had a the thing where you steal the taunt. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so and like what, that's what Max is doing. He was doing the 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 counterclockwise <laughs> analog stick.
0: <laughs> uh, Lex seizes control with clotheslines, but Max gets a power slam for a two-count. Bischoff starts talking to some unseen production guy, saying that, quote, if he wants to come out here, he can wait till the end of the hour. Uh, I thought that was a good, subtle way of keeping us uh, keeping a hole in our minds but telling us we got to wait for him. So we can't really turn the channel. Yeah. Paul's still around, but he's coming out later. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird. I don't remember... That part from previous times, but Mm -hmm. it's like
1: it sounds like he's indicating that Razor Ramon Scott Hall is like at the announcer's table at that point. But he's he's like, no, he has to wait. And I don't know if I mean if that if that was just off the cuff, then kudos to Eric Bischoff. But it's a it is kind of like a weird few seconds where you're like, wait, what's going on?
0: Yeah, and I think those disruptions from the norm are what helps sell the angle. Yeah. Uh, Max dominates the match and hits a sidewalk slam for another two-count. We get a big boot and a loaded forearm from Lex that finally slows Max. A power slam from Lex, and now both men are down. They struggle to their feet, and Lex gets Max up in the torture rack for the submission victory, and Gene is in the ring with Lex. And let's go to an audio clip.
3: All right, very impressive here tonight on WCW Monday Nitro for the total package. Lex Luger, as you probably no doubt know, On June the 16th in Baltimore, Maryland, at the Great American Bash, Lex Luger, the total package, is the man who's gonna be getting the shot at the Giant for the WCW Heavyweight title. But Lex Luger, I wanna go back in time. I don't know if you wanna speculate on your chances against the Giant, but this is a very unique opportunity, and especially the way you got it.
4: What do you mean the way I got it?
3: Well, all of a sudden, Diamond Dallas Page was denied the title shot, and uh, obviously, the championship committee I'll put you in the driver's seat, so to speak.
4: Gene, I don't make the matches. WCW officials make the matches, and nobody, I mean nobody, wants the giant more than the total package, because we know what happened to me last time we wrestled.
3: As a matter of fact, I want to just, for the record, go back and take a look. This has got to be one of the most awesome things I have ever seen. You talk about his display of strength, but to choke my into that table is unbelievable.
4: Unbelievable as the word. We're out, out here wrestling, trying to make a living, put food on the table, giant. I cannot believe that you did that to the total package. Well,
3: what what did you- what do you mean you can't believe it? He didn't
4: try to win a match. Giant, you tried to take me out. But the mistake that's come about from all this is, I'm still standing here. And this guy here was a big man. I just put him in the rack. I want every big man wwe has got before I wrestle the Giant. Because the Giant paybacks are a you know what, and it's yep. coming
3: your way. All right, thank you very much Lex Luger. Please, ladies and gentlemen,
0: well, there you go. Luger is mad at Gene Okerlund for suggesting that he didn't earn the title match, uh, but also says that he doesn't make the matches and he's not at fault. So <laughs> I did earn it, but also if I didn't, it's not my fault. So get off my back. <laughs> right. He's just covered his faces. That's all. <laughs> We see replays of him uh, going through the table from the Giant uh, a few weeks back. And Lex with some very general yelling type promo stuff. Uh, but he also demands, I like this, he demands that WCW let him face every big man they have so he can prepare for the Giant. Because he wants to be prepared uh, to put the Giant in the torture rack. Yeah. And Gene is skeptical of his ability to do so. <laughs> He's not alone in that. Uh, after a commercial, outcomes comes hard work Bobby Walker, uh, another prodigy of the power plant. Uh, hard work, Bobby Walker, by the way, is the saddest babyface jobber name I've ever heard. Yeah. (laughs) And I can't find exactly where he got his start, but he was a jobber in numerous places, including uh, many NWA affiliated territories, FMW in Japan and the WWF in 1992, he signed with WCW and headed down to the power plant and hasn't appeared much on television until 1995 and now acts as a sort of jobber to the stars on the B shows. Notably, he was uh, the original announced partner for the Barbarian in the Lethal Lottery at uh, Slambury, But after Lex Kayfabe injured him on an episode of Saturday Night, he was replaced by DDP, who would go on to win the entire thing. Ah. Our next is fellow jobber to the stars, Brad Armstrong, who exists uh, just a tad above Walker on the pecking order yes. of WCW right now. Right. Uh, so here to call these two <laughs> yeah. just amazing talents Right. Uh, uh, is our own Dave Amantor well, hard work, Bobby Walker,
1: uh, fresh out of the power plant, is for some reason he's dressed like a pre-fight boxer. Yeah, and he is, and he kind of is doing like the, uh, he has a body language of like just being really fired up and excited, and ready to wrestle. And uh, Brad Armstrong is wearing a stars and stripes jacket and a pretty decent mullet, not a not a landmark mullet, yeah. but it's like it's
0: okay. He there's nothing more generic babyface than being a generic babyface who gets the. America is a thing that I like gimmick. (laughs) Right. Like, there's nothing about him. He's not like um, Pittman, who at least was in the Marine Corps. He's just like, this is where I'm from. I like this. (laughs) Right. Okay. So in the
1: time-honored tradition of WCW Nitro matchups, we begin with the collar and elbow tie-up that goes into the corner, where Brad breaks it cleanly because this is a match of babyfaces. Brad gets a headlock takedown, which Walker floats quickly right into a scissor lock. At this point, uh, Eric Bischoff he refers to Skull Hall not by name, saying that he would not dignify the man by mentioning him, even though he's still mentioning him.
0: Well, he also says that he won't he won't do so by name because he doesn't want to incur the wrath of any legal departments who are hovering like vultures. Like
1: vultures,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: So I I do I do kind of like the fact that it's like. You know, if we're going to refer to him, we're, we would have to call him Razor Ramon. Right. And then that's going to get us in trouble with WWF. So, uh, I, I like, it's like, it's just a little touch. I liked it. Um, Brad Armstrong kips out of the scissor lock, and we get a second collar and elbow tie up, which goes into a different corner. Brad tries to get the advantage, but Walker whips him across the ring and executes an arm drag into an arm bar. Eric Bischoff says that Bobby Walker studies wrestling film like he's preparing for a thesis, (laughs) which I imagine means he takes notes.
0: You know, I I guess um, it at least sells the gimmick. I guess that's the hard work in hard work. Bobby Walker, like this guy's in there studying game film, you know. Right. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah. And and I think at some point Bobby Heenan makes the reference about how he's the first one in and he's the last one out when the lights go out, that sort of thing. Um, Brad Armstrong at this point counters with an arm drag arm bar combo of his own the arm bar turns into a wrist lock as a two back into the corner where Brad drills the young wrestler with a couple of forearms he whips Walker into the opposite corner attempts uh, wrestling's dumbest move the monkey flip <laughs> from which Walker almost lands on his feet he, yeah. he's close but not quite
0: I think that uh, will become a recurring theme through the back half of this match uh, perhaps yes
1: uh, Walker runs into the opposite corner, scales the turnbuckles, and nearly slips off the top before executing a cross body block for a two
0: count. You know, it's almost the the nature or, or, or the natural reaction is to focus on the botch. It is impressive, though, how he saves the spot. Yes. Um, because it looks like it's about to go careening into danger, like yeah. a bad fall, and he, he actually pulls it out.
1: Yeah, he looks like he's gonna slip off and land on the arena floor but instead he managed he like regains his balance and flips back for a cross body block so yeah he it's a really good recovery um, after the cross body block for a two count uh, Brad slips a half nelson for a two count and once the men return to their feet walker hits a lightning quick arm drag armbar combo
0: at this point you can tell he's got some real good athleticism you can also tell that he's out of ideas though cuz he hit that exact combo already yes he's like He's got five things he knows, and he's gone through five of them already. So yes. <laughs> we're, we're back to the classics. <laughs> As the two uh, struggle to gain advantage
1: in the armbar, Eric Bischoff again mentions that De Malenko will be facing Rey Mysterio for their Cruiserweight title at the Great American Bash, which, again, I'm looking forward to seeing. And also, you know that match is going to be just crisp. Brad gets a drop toehold to escape and then applies an armbar of his own. We have now made it into the vicinity of Armbar City. <laughs> Bobby Walker with a slow flip out of the hold, which included a second of him standing on his head. <laughs> uh, another. He- now we get another headlock takedown to scissor lock combo, uh, in which Brad eventually just kind of pulls himself out of the scissor lock, then puts on a headlock, and then is back at the scissor lock again. And at this point, you can hear from the crowd that they are not very happy with this match and again, are yep. getting impatient in which they are not alone. Again, Brad Armstrong pulls his head out from the scissor lock and then drills Walker with a forearm. Uh, back on their feet, Brad Irish whips Walker and tried for a suplex but was wrapped up in a small package for a two-count. Yeah, he Irish whips him off the rope, so when he comes back, he stops him to do a suplex. Yep. So there's clearly, like, the chemistry is not here for either of these two guys. Uh, Brad whips Walker off the ropes again, but his clothesline attempt is countered by backslide for another two count. His third Irish whip attempt is reversed by Walker who hits Brad with a back body drop with the least amount of air I've ever <laughs> seen. Seriously. Rick flair at twice his age is gets up in the air and these guys barely. It's just,
6: mm-hmm.
1: Oh man. Okay. And then uh, Walker jumps onto the middle turnbuckle then tries to leap to the top, but again slips. Walker then hits what I think was going to be a, a blockbuster, uh, but it ends up being some sort of weird like flying headbutt combination. But either way, he ends up getting the pinfall victory.
0: Yeah, he, he so he hops up to the top rope, but he loses footing. And then he falls on his ass, but sort of luckily manages to fall on the top turnbuckle mm-hmm. in a way where he can climb back up. Yeah, but when he climbs back up, he's so ginger with his movements like he's so careful because yeah. now he's almost fallen twice and he's like super freaked out about it. Right. The announcer's do sell it as a major upset though. Yeah, and <laughs> do we say that he wins? Did the, did
1: I Are jump you, the gun there? No, I I said that okay. despite messing up the move yeah. he still gets yeah. pinfall. Okay. Um and the weird thing is from from reviews of Nitro at this time, a lot of fans were like upset. That Brad Armstrong had to take the pinfall from Bobby Walker, which I thought yeah. was weird. I was like, why are people so
0: into Brad Armstrong? I mean, he has been a little more of a mainstay. Um, you know, we we're not exposed because uh, he's 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 been on Nitro one other time because I know we've already done his intro. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess he's just had a longer career. But yeah, that is weird. Like who who gives a shit who wins this match, quite honestly. Right. Yeah. Um, and then of course,
1: since they're, you know, the two baby faces, eventually they do kind of like the stare down and respectfully shake hands. But as we go to commercial break, Heenan does a typical Heenan thing where he suggests that Brad, Brad's shoulder was up right before it goes to commercial. Yeah. (laughs) Which by the way, it wasn't, it wasn't even remotely close to being up. He was (laughs) flat pinned. but, (laughs) but Heenan, you know, loves to start a conversation just so it gets cut
0: off. All right, after a commercial, Lord Steven Regal comes out alongside Jeeves, and I love uh, Regal's theme. I don't know if I've said that before, just sort of a, you know, classic sort of um, march sort of song, you know? It it just works really well for the character. A fan touches his arm, and he acts so pissed. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Regal, by the way, I wanted to get this excerpt because I read it after uh, we had recorded the episode. So a few episodes ago, we talked about the parking lot brawl, between Regal and uh, Finlay? Yes. Uh, so I want to just read this quick section of uh, Regal's book where he talks about it. There were four cars surrounded by metal barriers. Which are the gimmicked cars, we asked. What do you mean, gimmicked, came the reply. <laughs> <laughs> they were 100% real. <laughs> Finn and I walked around looking at the setup. The only thing we did was loosen one of the car bumpers. There was nothing else that could be fixed. All we could do was run into this stuff hard and break it. Mm-hmm. We killed each other in that match. Finn's head went through a side window, and there was nothing gimmicked about, th- about it. Finn kept finding little fragments of glass under the skin on his legs, and he'd have to pick them out. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to talk, because we, we did note that there were sometimes they'd hit windows like they should break, and they just didn't. So there's a reason for that. Oh, right. That was a bloodbath of a match. That's oh, just crazy. Man. Uh, Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright, is out next, and he's got high fives for everybody. (laughs) He does his uh, typical backflip off the top rope into the ring, and he's wearing some neon fucking green tights and knee pads. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't, I, that's the way I wrote it in my notes, and I wanted to read it that way. (laughs) Neon fucking green tights. (laughs) The announcers haven't mentioned him at all yet, and are instead prattling on about the Macho Man. Bischoff, he's like a caged animal, only he's outside the cage. (laughs) Bobby, well, he's caged himself. (laughs) <laughs> great metaphor guys he's like a cage animal <laughs> except he's not in a cage so he's just like he's an, an animal, animal. <laughs> <laughs> no but he's emotionally caged himself <laughs> good good save bobby regal works the crowd and does uh his sort of uh finger assisted flex which i always think is funny yeah where he pushes up uh, his bicep with his finger <laughs> yeah Bischoff goes uh, on a bit about Hogan and how he's definitely watching and following along at home. (laughs) Yeah, fucking right (laughs) Right. he is. Regal starts working uh, the arm to start off the match. Wright flips around with an impressive reversal to a wrist lock of his own. They then do the exact same sequence, ending with a kick to the face of Regal. Some more chain wrestling until Wright gets a head scissors and then another, and Regal goes outside to regroup. A baseball slide from Wright sends Regal into the guardrail, which I think he really shoves in an attempt to run into some of the fans who have been giving him shit. <laughs> like they're right on the other side of the barricade, so yeah. when he gets whipped into it, I feel like he gives it extra juice so that they get one in the knee. Yeah. <laughs> uh Wright hits a plancha to the outside as we go to commercial. Uh Heenan says, You can't pin him out there, you idiot. <laughs> By the way, those um, those
1: like those like head scissor takedowns yeah. that uh, f- that Alex Wright's doing yeah, they look really weak and ineffective. And basically, Stephen Regal is just doing flips. <laughs> he he puts in ninety nine percent of the work
0: on those things. Uh, during our commercial, let's go to an audio clip as we get a new Blood Runs Cold promo that's a little bit different from the ones we've been seeing. So there you can kind of hear some of the techno music and voiceover and I want you to know that at the end it no longer says Blood Run Cold it now says Glacier coming to WCW. Ooh. When we're back to the match Regal is in control as Bischoff sends a hello to a fan out in Washington. No idea what that was about. Yeah. He's just like hey Steve Brucek, I don't know. I don't know why that's the name I made up, but uh, out in like you know Seattle, Washington. Uh, thanks for watching. It's yeah. it's got to be a friend of his that it's like a I who knows. Very strange. We get some European upca- uppercuts by a cross face by Regal, accompanied by some slaps to the face while he has it locked in. Wright gets out and goes for a belly to back suplex, but Regal elbows him and turns around. Wright never lets go and ends up hitting a big belly to belly suplex for a two count. Uh, I really like that spot. Yeah. Regal gets a kick to the head for a one count. Bischoff apologizes to the crowd for the stuff that was said earlier by Hall. Uh, it's that was kind of a little. I get that he wants to keep mentioning Hall. Yeah. But there was nothing like offensive that was <laughs> said at all. So it, it that that this mention seemed a bit much. Yeah. Kicks and punches are exchanged between the two until Wright hits a huge European uppercut. He then runs up a turnbuckle and backflips over Regal and goes right into a small package, but the placement was a bit off and the small package isn't very smooth. Uh, It was impressive, but the timing or something was just a bit off.
1: By the way, um, when Alex Wright hit that European uppercut, Eric Bischoff enjoys it so much that he pretty much cackles. (laughs) And I wrote... A note that you need to put a clip of that cackling in there because it's crazy. All it right. sounds crazy.
0: Well, let's enjoy some cackling here. What's going on? Oh,
3: <laughs> Bobby! Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: that was some great cackling. <laughs> that was that was some high <laughs> quality cackling. Prime cackling. <laughs> Regal kicks out and slaps a wrist lock on the canvas. Regal then talks to the camera, saying that if guys from other wrestling companies think they're going to come and take anything away from me, there's no bloody chance. Yes, <laughs> That's a smart guy working himself into an angle, or at least trying. You yeah. know? I think that was uh, mm. just a very minor, minor going into business for himself, but yeah. it, no one's going to get mad at him over that. I thought it was good. They get uh, some exchanges for pins and then very impactful dropkick from Alex Wright that looked fantastic. A big body drop by Wright uh, and a jumping kick for another two count. The ending comes out of nowhere uh, when Wright whips Regal into the corner and then stands in the middle rope for a 10 for a 10 punch spot. Uh, But instead, he plays the crowd and is pushed down to the mat by Regal, who then grabs his legs and flips over for a bridging pin for the one, two, three. Yeah, I I did not at all care for this ending. What did you think?
1: No, it seemed really weird. Um, I know at the, at the time I was writing a note down and I didn't realize that the match had ended. So I had to go back and I was like, it just seemed like a really weird spot. Like, I don't know if they, if those two just didn't have a good idea as far yeah. as like how to end it. Ended. They didn't want to end it normally, but uh, um, yeah, I don't know why he didn't like at least go for like an STF or something like that, but.
0: It's interesting, and, and we'll we'll talk about it a little more as we head to the Great American Bash, but Regal is about to, um, he's getting one of his bigger pushes in WCW, um, and it's interesting that the sort of professional success is coming as sort of, uh, the wheels are really coming off of his personal life. Um, it's I think since we kind of watched these these original episodes is when I read his book, which is a startling descent into like, Horrifying addiction and and like out and out madness. Like yeah, it's a it's a dark story. Um, and I recommend that anyone pick up that book. Um, there's some there are some good wrestling anecdotes, but really it's just a, a pretty incredible story of the stuff that this guy went through. Um, and sort of this is as it's sort of rising to its peak through '95. You'll remember, uh, back at the Clash of the Champions where he worked double duty, mm-hmm. and in the first match he injured his knee. Yeah, well that was like the second of two knee injuries he had that year that sort of put him on the painkillers that sort of became the tip of the iceberg for this uh, addiction problems that he dealt yeah, with. Yeah,
1: I, I have noticed that on and off when he is wrestling, sometimes he has like the extra brace and sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. I don't know if that's depending on how he feels at that t- that time or if he's on something that makes him not need it. Or, but I just, I just remember it was like, it's really weird that like one week he has it. And then one week he doesn't have it.
0: It's also notable that uh, Regal has never certainly been like a body guy, but mm-hmm. he is getting quite uh, fat at this point. Like, yeah, he's he's really packing on some pounds.
1: Yeah, I especially now that he is going to be uh, talking to Gene on its promo. Yeah. When I was watching promo, I was like, he's. It's like he's kind of bursting at the, at the uh, at the tights there. You know.
0: All right. Well. Uh, let's go to an audio clip of Gene Okerlund, who's in the ring with Stephen Regal. Thank you,
3: Eric, uh, with me, Lord Stephen Regal. Most impressive, I must say, against this youngster, just barely 20 years old. But uh, the one thing that the fans bring out to me as I travel around the country, Lord Stephen Regal, is the way you feel about Americans. Uh, apparently, uh, you, you have some adverse feelings toward us.
2: Listen to me, you miserable little toad! You telling me how to whack my life? Is like Quasimodo telling somebody how to bloody walk straight.
3: Let me point out.
2: Now I have your attention, it's Memorial Day. My father will be so pleased I beat Junior Adolf there. We have got a world champion here in WCW. That's a bloody escapee from Barnum and Bailey's. We've got bloody Savage running around thinking he's some kind of hard man. If you didn't notice, two weeks ago, I put the toughest man in wrestling out of the bloody game. Then we've got somebody from another wrestling organization wanting to take on war. Don't forget who's in within sunshine, because I'm going nowhere. And it's time I had my bloody say in what goes on around here.
3: You know, I should point out just for the record, uh, the affection that these fans have for you, I couldn't help but notice the one youngster here giving you half a peace sign. I don't think they think that highly of your personality, your wrestling skills notwithstanding.
2: When you are a significant grappler as myself, you are not bothered by such meager peasants. And that means you, sunshine. Now, to prove myself, I am going to make a statement, a challenge, if you wish, to the man they call the franchise. If I beat this man and you, Mr. Sting, I hope you're listening, I will then be held within some esteem here well, and maybe get a shot at this bloody circus freak that we have as a champion i want that painted face bloody clown
3: please right in this thank you very much possible. I, take it to the championship committee please i can't stand the heat urich let's get back to you right,
0: well there you go regal wants a match with sting he believes that if he beats that painted face uh bloody clown he yeah. can get a shot at the circus freak that we call a champion yeah I thought that was a he was a good little promo. Yeah, not only
1: was it good, but like I like the fact that that not only are they pushing Regal, but like Regal the character is like I'm gunning for the top guys. Right. I'm gonna beat Sting, so you can give me a match against the Giant for the title. I really like that. I, I and uh, yeah, I thought it was a really. I mean, Steven Regal is a really good at at a promo. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, he he does show a lot of like kind of this fire where it's like. I want to sh- have recognition. I don't want to just be facing guys like Alex Wright or, or Scotty Riggs or something like that. I want like, a legitimate competition, and I want the best
0: competition. It does show a sort of a short institutional memory, though, because he did have a match with Sting two or three weeks ago on Nitro. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so like they're certainly positioning it in a different way, whereas that was just a TV match where – From the get-go, it's clear that he's there to lose. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's sort of interesting that, like, yeah, they're sort of counting on us not remembering that they did just have a match in the very recent past. Well, uh, it was successful because I forgot about it. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, for us it has been almost a half a year. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. After the promo, we go to commercial, and when we come back, Scott Steiner is out with his brother Rick. Uh, Stinger comes out sans Lex Luger. Uh, and he stops by the VIP table set up in the aisle and grabs a handful of food, which he nibbles on the way to the the ring. Because, as we've noticed, Sting is always at his most charismatic and wacky during his entrances.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Uh, all right. Well, here to call all of the action for our main event is our own Dave Amantorp. Dave.
1: Yeah, I made a note there that entrance Sting is still the best. Sting. Oh, did I steal your thunder on that one? I apologize. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> And I also made a note when Scott Steiner entered, uh, looking especially inflated tonight. Yes, I agree with that. (laughs) Uh, This was one of those times where he comes to the ring with his singlet down. Um, I don't know if he's kind of like really wanting to show off his physique a little bit more, but like I did it just some for some reason this week. I'm like, wow, he looks crazy. Um, The two shake hands as the bell rings because they're friends. And as friends <laughs> do, they start with a collar and elbow tie-up, <laughs> which is converted into arm drag for Scott Steiner. After that, they kind of pace around a little bit before engaging another collar and elbow tie-up, this one being brought into the corner. I kind of I like the way that it, this match is starting off because it's emphasizing the fact that they're friends and they usually are working together yes. instead of against each other. So they, they don't know how to attack each other just yet. Scott tries his uh, hip toss Sting, but the Stinger holds onto the ropes and then counters with a hip toss of his own. Uh, we get another Kalonova tie-up, and Scott hits a knee to the gut, followed by a forearm smash to the back. Scott then makes his drug dealer very proud by press-slamming Sting <laughs> with ease. <laughs> uh, Scott Steiner has a... Uh, oh, yeah, I, was, I made a note here that Scott Steiner at this point, he seems like he has the ring work and the demeanor of a heel. Yes, the way that he kind of paces around and, and, and sometimes kind of glares or like talks to the crowd. And it just is like really physical um,
0: wrestling. It, I think that makes sense, though. If you're if you've got two baby faces going into a match in WCW, the one who's not Sting probably should default to the heel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, but like I I was just thinking if I was coming into this cold, not really knowing the wrestlers, I would have thought that Scott Snyder was a heel. Um, anyway, a uh, second form smash and Scott d- gets Sting into a headlock, which he wrenches. Sting escapes by whipping Scott into the ropes, but is n- met with a shoulder block. Uh, Scott is off the ropes again and Sting leapfrogs before hitting a nice drop kick in return. Scott backs into the corner and Sting motions for the stinger splash, but Scott dropped to a knee. Sting softens him up and tries a whipping into the opposite corner, but is reversed. However, Sting counters that by hitting a springboard back elbow off the middle rope.
0: Yeah, I think you're being generous with back elbow. It, he just kind of jumps into him with his back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. It, I mean, I'm, that's probably what it was supposed to be, but it ends up just being like, here's my back. <laughs>
1: uh, at this point, Sting clotheslines Scott Steiner out of the ring, in which I don't know if they if that... Does that count as his own momentum? Uh, Who the fuck knows? (laughs) I don't get the over the top rope rule. Nope. And not only that, I'm pretty sure most of the wrestlers don't remember the top rope rule. Nope. Once Scott is to his feet, uh, Sting slingshots himself over the top rope into the floor with a cross body block. Bobby Heenan, as always, with a good comment about the danger of such a move and how you could twist a knee and put yourself on the shelf with an injury. So uh, he's just adding a little bit more. color to to the fact that he came off the top rope so i appreciate that and bischoff follows it up with another good comment about how the two men are really going at each other not letting up the due to the fact that they're friends right because they, at the beginning they were nice but once they realize that that it's going to be hard to beat the other guy now they're kind of like upping upping the ante here uh meanwhile we're back in the ring and scott gets the advantage and hits what I would describe as a double underhook power bomb
0: butterfly slam Butterf- butterfly power bomb yeah, I it's a butterfly something I think when you get that, I don't know it's a good question
1: yeah i, I think most people will know what we're talking about as far as Scott Steiner has a, the double underhook, um, but it's more he, he's he's going to suplex him but then kind of drops him like a power bomb, so right uh double underhook power is kind of where I go with, with that one. Um, After that, Scott allows Sting to return to his feet before hitting a belly-to-belly suplex. And at this point, you could tell Scott Steiner is getting gassed. (laughs) (laughs) He he gets tired quickly. Sting rolls out of the uh, ring to recover, but instead is hit by a flying Scott Steiner axe handle smash. Um, And he did that off the top turnbuckle, which I thought was kind of impressive for him. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, after that, Scott tosses Sting into the ring and gets a two count. After glaring down the referee, Scott whips sting, sting into the far corner, hits a shoulder block, and then a knee to the gut. Scott whips Sting into the opposite corner again, but his follow-up is countered by a boot to the face that really looked like it hit him flush right on the face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. And as you'll see in some upcoming episodes, Scott Sire kind of has some bad luck with like getting kicked in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and at this point, Bobby Keenan just like laughs at, at how much he got kicked <laughs> in the face. which I thought was funny. He just like enjoying the fact that he, just, yeah. Uh, back on their feet, Sting uh, tries for an Irish Whip that gets reversed and then gets hit with the overhead belly to belly suplex for his troubles.
0: His Steiner's over uh, that that belly to belly is so great every time. Yeah, he it's just magnificent watching him do that move.
1: Yeah, and it's just, you know, I've, I know I've pointed out before, but like watching a Steiner brother match is way different because it's like they are just tossing dudes right. all the time. It, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why he's so gassed. At this point, more kudos to Heenan for mentioning that Steven Regal is likely watching the match closely due to his challenge earlier in the Night Distinct. So he's helping progress this feud, especially since uh, Eric Bischoff doesn't seem very interested. After the belly belly suplex, a cover by Scott only gets a two, at which point Nick Patrick seemed to have hurt his hand while making the count.
0: (laughs) (laughs) These referees, they're made of, like, (laughs) tissue paper and, like, kisses. Yeah. They're just just tissue paper held together by kisses. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: But he manages to shake it off as uh, Steiner wraps Sting up in an STF. Um, at this point, I decided to uh, make a note that STF stands for Step Over Toll Hold Face Lock. For those who'd never bothered looking it up, I did it for you.
0: I thought it meant shut the fuck up because <laughs> I'm seen I'm a rebel. All right, I'm not going down <laughs> that road right now. <laughs>
1: you would never use that language. <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, Scott releases the hold which Heenan credits their friendship as a reason and not to injure him. So, again, Heenan recovering for the fact that he basically just releases a hold he could have held on to as yep, long as he wanted. Yep. Um, he then dropped an elbow on Sting's back and then slaps on a cross arm breaker.
0: Yeah, just in case the crowd wasn't cooled down enough from that last rest hold. Yeah. Here's another rest hold yeah. that we can throw on.
1: The, uh, now, th- more signs that Scott is like, he is pr- he's at the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Scott turns the arm breaker into a headlock cover that only gets a two. He then picks up and slams Sting. And I made another note about how much this match has slowed down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scott picks him up again and tempted a suplex, but Sting flips out and hits a reverse DDT, which, as you know, will eventually become the Scorpion Death Drop, but it is not at this point. I believe this
0: is the first one that he's hit on Nitro. Okay. Uh, of, of those. I know it's not named. It's just a move that he's doing. It's yeah. not a finisher, but that's the first that I can remember seeing him do uh, here on, on Nitro.
1: Yeah, so at this point, it's just an athletic maneuver. <laughs> uh, both men get to their feet in opposite corners, um, which, at that point, you can basically figure out what happens next if Sting's in one corner <laughs> and his opponent's in the other corner. <laughs> so after the Snigger splash, he... Uh, <laughs> then he just punches him in the head, too. A second Irish whip gets a uh, second stinger splash, which he gets uh, a lots of air and even more turnbuckle as Scott moves. Uh, Scott follows it up with a dragon suplex, but did not lock the ping- his fingers so he doesn't go for the pin attempt. At that point, Lex Luger shows up at ringside in his wrestling gear and a very oversized Monday Nitro t-shirt. <laughs> How he can't even get a shirt that fits him, I don't know. <laughs> Which, uh, at that point, then brings out Rick Steiner, who looks like he just got back from a fishing trip.
0: I'm not positive, but I believe he was wearing a hyper-color (laughs) t-shirt. I think think so. (laughs) Let's hope. (laughs) Let's hope.
1: During this time, uh, Scott is placing a top turnbuckle and hits a Samoan drop off the middle rope. Scott, absolutely drained, is deciding he's going to try the Frankensteiner. (laughs) Um. He whips Sting off the rope, but Sting holds on, causing Scott to uh, drop to the back of his head. Sting, at that point, smells blood and is quick to apply the Scorpion Deathlock. I always liked one of the aspects of his Scorpion Deathlock. Once he is going to do it, he puts it on as quickly as yes, possible. Yes, absolutely. Like if the like he's taking advantage of the person being stunned before they're, they they shake the cobwebs.
0: None of that Bret Hart showboating, <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: Uh, turning Scott over gets in the ropes. However, and the finishing move is broken up. Sting whips Scott off the ropes and tries for a back body drop, but Scott hits a forearm smash before picks, picking him up for a tombstone pile driver. Sting reverses and hits the move for himself instead. Uh, I believe Eric Bischoff just refers to it as a pile driver, but I think most people call a tombstone. Pile yeah. Driver.
0: Yeah. I don't think commentary does, but you're right. It absolutely is. Uh, a nonchalant cover only gets a two.
1: Uh, then Sting comes off the ropes and tries to splash the, Uh, onto the floor steiner but scott gets his knees up at the last moment sting tries to recover the apron but scott locks him up for a suplex back into the ring sting counters and scott lands very awkwardly on his feet at the ringside floor undeterred he grabs sting and tries for a suplex on the outside but lex luger kicks him in uh, in the gut before throwing scott back in
0: the ring Yeah, this becomes a bone of contention um, over the next couple of weeks. So Scott's about to to suplex his friend on, like, the concrete. Mm -hmm. Um, So Lex, Sting's friend and partner, kicks him in the gut and interferes in the match. So those sort of, you know, everyone's got a reason for what they're doing there, I think, which is, you know, the best kind of uh, reason to feud over anything. So uh, it's kind of an important moment because it will inform a, a couple things going forward.
1: Yeah, that particular one is is very important. So um, After Lex threw uh, Scott back in the ring, Rick Steiner shoves Lex. And at this point, the referee has not disqualified Sting for some reason. Um, then all four men start brawling in the ring as Nick Patrick finally calls for the bell. And Eric Bischoff sounds disappointed in the result, saying it's not what fans wanted. Even though the fans were cheering like crazy when <laughs> when the whole Donnie Brook kind of broke out.
0: Oh man, I've got Donnie Brook right here in my notes. Yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I I would I would say like the fans seem like they're getting exactly what they want, which yeah. is all for fighting. Yep. He's like, yep. oh, It's too bad they didn't get that match result though. <laughs> and then uh, and then we get a whole bunch of jobbers rushing in the ring to break up the fight. This is not what the fans want to see. Absolutely. Um, Eric Bischoff claims that the match is a no contest, but really it should be a DQ victory for Scott Steiner. Um, and then, yeah. So this this is going to be kind of a weird thing that I, I noticed. This is when uh, Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall, is coming to the announcer's table, but the fans are still really distracted yeah. by what's going on in the ring. And I feel like Moses' promo is kind of like, falls on deaf ears because they have like a dozen wrestlers in the ring trying to stop a fight while he's right, talking. Right,
0: a, a fight between four very popular uh, yeah. stars too. Uh, but let's We don't want you uh, to miss any of this promo. So let's go now to an audio clip.
3: I tell you what, mayhem here at the end of the night. And like I said, hours ago, these guys had to be considered some of the closest friends around. And tonight it just breaks down here he, and I don't know what to make of it. Well, there is
4: no friendship like I said. They're both in that ring. They both want what each other has. They both want that they both want that position. They both want to be on top here at WCW. And the only way to do that is you got
6: to kick people's butts. You got to make enemies. All right, all right, all right. Hey, looky here. You wanted Kendall, to say You got such a big mouth. And we we are sick of it. What do you mean who's me? No. Hey, this is where the big boys play? What a joke. I tell you what, you go tell Billionaire Ted, you tell him get three of his very, very best. Maybe, uh, maybe the Nacho Man. Oh, no. Hey, maybe, maybe he get the stinger. Woo, I'm so scared. You go get anybody you want because we, what do you mean we? We are taking over. You wanna go to war? You want a war? You got one. Only, only let's do it right in the ring where it matters not on no microphones not in no newspapers or dirt sheets let's do it in the ring where it matters if uh if billionaire ted and his big boys if they got any uh any guts because we Are coming down here. You're stepping over the line. And like it or not. Not. We are taking over.
2: You're out of here. You're out of here.
0: So there you go. Uh, Razor notes that, quote, we are sick of Bischoff's big mouth. And it's very uh, important to notice the use of we mm. there. Who Who is that referring to? The WWF? Uh, razor and you know some other unknown companions Uh, certainly those of you with a knowledge of history uh, probably don't have to wonder but it is certainly very very notable that he says we Mm -hmm. Uh, he wants billionaire Ted to get three of his very best to take on this nebulous we that he keeps referring to (laughs) right he throws a toothpick in Eric's face and wanders off the show goes off the air with Eric and Bobby doing a fantastic job of looking genuinely stunned and speechless
1: yeah um, also, he he does refer to uh, WCW getting their best three men. Yes. So we, we're getting an idea of uh, the matchup being uh,
0: a six man, yeah, six man tag. All right. Well, I will say uh, overall, bad show. Real, yeah. ba- real bad show. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> for being one of the most important nitros in the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. Overall, that was not good. Right. Uh, two hours right now seems like a lot of time if we are going to end up with hard work, Bobby Walker taking on Brad Armstrong. yes. I mean, if that's why you went to two hours, yeah, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) The Scott Hall stuff was very, very well done, but otherwise this show was a dud for me. What did you think, Dave?
1: I, like I said, the very first, uh, promo by, uh, Scott Hall went really well. Um, a lot, I feel like a lot of it was just effective in like what they were doing and not how they did it. Sure. I, I think a lot, there's a lot of uh, things that didn't work very well, especially um, like at the very end, they were distracting the fans with a brawl in the ring. So they weren't like reacting to Scott Hall. And, um, and there was a lot, I felt like there was a lot of forced uh,
0: references to Scott Hall during the show sure. by Bishop. All right. Well, despite it being a bad show, there must've been some bright spots. Dave, who was your MVP of the week?
1: Uh, I, would give my MVP to Razor Ramon, um, but I have honorable mention of Lord Steven Regal. Sure,
0: good choices both. I'm actually going to give my MVP this week to Larry Zbysko. Oh. Uh, I thought that he had some great lines on commentary, which I covered. You know, he talked about uh, some basic tag team wrestling stuff and the flair uh, match versus the American males. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked his opening line about Sting being emotionally befuddled. Um, I like that he throws in these sort of big words that, and, and even if he misses uses them sometime, that almost as a heel works even better because it shows that you, that he's not as smart as he thinks he is, you know? Um, so, and, and then, um, but really I wanted to give it to him, uh, for the idea of having hall come through the crowd because I think that just really transformed the entire moment. Um, so more for what his contributions were behind the scenes, uh, my MVP is Larry Zabisco. For my match of the night, I'm going to go uh, kind of slim piggins here, but I'm going to go with Regal uh, versus Alex Wright. I thought that was a good televised uh, television match. Nothing special, but uh, given the kind of what we saw in the rest of the show, mm. it, it stood out as a decent match, even though, uh, like I noted, I thought the ending was kind of garbage. Yeah. Uh, Dave, what was your segment or match of the night?
1: Match of the night, I would go the same with Steven Regal versus Alex Wright. I, I totally forgot that we could do match or segment.
0: Right. I I only picked that because I f- assumed you were going to go uh, Razor as segment of the night. Yeah. I mean, I think we both could just say Razor's the segment of the night. Yeah. Obviously. So. I would
1: I would say his f- the first appearance of him and and especially knowing that knowing now that most of that was kind of just improvised by him. Sure. I think he did a really good job. Um. So yeah, I would. The best match of the show was Regal versus Wright, but that's, like, just the best of the lot. There really wasn't anything that stood out. But first segment, I mean, that first, that first segment with Scott Hall was amazing.
0: All right. Well, that's going to cap it uh, for our coverage of Nitro. Let's go into our ratings roundup. As uh, this week, May 27th, Monday Night Raw captured a 3.3 rating. Of course, they were only running... Uh, against the second hour of nitro nitro uh, got a 2.8 average so a 2.7 for hour one which you got to think is a little disappointing because that's unopposed Mm -hmm. Um, and then a 2.8 for hour two so it only ticked up slightly um, with the knowledge that scott hall was going to be back Um, so you know kind of we'll have to see where it goes i i get the impression that because creatively it came off well bischoff doesn't seem too upset um you never hear about about them being like panicked Yeah, Uh, at first. But Mm -hmm. but certainly I have to imagine that that rating was a bit under their expectations, especially because, I mean, there are weeks where they just beat raw anyway. So then to have this huge angle and not beat raw has to stick in in Bischoff's craw a little bit. Uh, The raw results that were that carried that three point three rating, we had the ultimate warrior and gold dust, which went to a double count out. The smoking guns defeated the body Donna's. Vader handed Ahmed Johnson his very first televised loss after Owen Hart knocked Johnson out with an arm cast. Uh it's kind of notable because after then being stretchered backstage, Johnson would be revived via mouth to mouth resuscitation by Gold Dust, uh, yeah. which Johnson did not appreciate. Right. <laughs> uh, so the reason why it, it had that high rating is most likely because it was the raw coming after a pay-per-view. Because on May 26, 1996, the WWF held In Your House, Beware of Dog, which was infamously marred by a power outage caused by severe weather. Uh, This happened at the beginning of the Savio Vega-Steve Austin Strat match, and that match, along with most of the card, took place in near total darkness (laughs) and was not broadcast on pay-per-view. Power was restored right before the British Bulldog Shawn Michaels' main event, which saw HBK retain his title when the match ended in a draw. Uh, I recommend, and I'll I'll talk a little more about it, but I would recommend that if you kind of want to hear about that uh, pay-per-view and the disaster it was, you check out the New Generation Project podcast episode about it. It's pretty good. Anyway, the WWF would hold an encore presentation of the show on May 28th. uh, So tomorrow, if we were still looking at this in 20 years ago terms. Featuring the same matches that took place on the original show, only now lit. (laughs) It was held in the exact same town, so they had to change the result of one of the four matches to maintain some sense of kayfabe. Also, as the main event had taken place on pay-per-view with the lights on and everything, it was not redone. Which made Michaels and Smith very upset because... They had kind of half-assed it, f- not knowing that they were on television. Supposedly, oh, supposedly okay. they got word halfway through their match that they were actually on TV, and both guys were like, oh, shit. Yeah. And they had been half-assing it, and and Michaels was doing his pouty thing that he does. Yeah. Um, certainly, you know, one of the things he's most famous for during this particular run. Uh, so Sean and Davey were unsatisfied with their match and the lack of opportunity to try again on the encore, which only added to the discontent that Davey Boy Smith had been feeling with the direction of his character. Shortly before the match, he sent a 90-day notice to the WWF that he would not be renewing his contract, though they didn't actually receive that until after the pay-per-view. So either uh, today or tomorrow in in kayfabe calendar terms. Okay. Unlike the recent defections of Hall Nash and Mark Mero from WCW, this is not due to an offer by the other side, but more likely uh, considered... Um, by by Meltzer and others at the time to be a tactic of Smith to just improve his position within WWF. Oh. So it's not believed he's serious about leaving, mm-hmm. um, but he is using it as kind of a position to address some things that he is currently unsatisfied with. Sure. It's also pretty noticeable uh, that the Ultimate Warrior, who is in the midst of his big comeback, only wrestled in a dark match on that show, uh, like a literal dark match, not... not Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> An actual, you know, not not just a match that was in the dark. He was on a <laughs> right. he was on a pre show match, uh, defeating Owen Hart. Uh, also in news, the Road Warriors quit WCW uh, tomorrow, May twenty eighth, in a dispute over pay. Uh, their belief was that Bischoff had promised them the second highest pay in the company, uh, Hogan being on top. But that Hall and the uh, yet to debut blankety blank uh we're making more than them yeah. bischoff denied making them any such promise and would not renegotiate their pay so they are gone from the company brian pillman had a meeting with vince mcmahon on may 23rd and had a meeting set with eric bischoff on may 28th but that meeting never took place it is expected that he'll make a decision as to which group he'll eventually sign with very shortly The betting line seems to say that he's going to WWF, as he and WCW are very far apart on money figures. He still wants to appear in ECW doing promos and eventually build to doing one match with Shane Douglas, which apparently WWF is agreeable in letting him do. He is also expected to get a major push on ECW television this week. There is also speculation among the wrestlers backstage in WWF, but nobody's sure uh, that Vince McMahon offered Mark Miro and Brian Pillman Either strong deals or guaranteed deals, which, as you know, Vince has Ooh. you know long been against. Yeah, this is actually partly true, and it is the beginning of the uh, downside guarantee that is still kind of a part of WWF deals, so he can. S- still kind of argue the sort of old Vince McMahon line that all I'm giving you is an opportunity mm-hmm. but he does start giving some kind of guarantee where you've got the downside so there's a minimum that you will make in a year yeah um but it's certainly it's not like WCW where you just get this fat salary and it's guaranteed no matter what okay uh, so there's really kind of nobody guaranteed uh, right now to stick with WWF, with the exception of a few people who are thought to be sort of mainstays. One is Shawn Michaels, who does not have a strong motivation for money uh, as a recently deceased fan, gave him a huge inheritance. What? Yeah. Um, I fr- I, I w- I'll get the details from uh, the Observer and maybe drop him in here uh, in a separate recording or I'll talk about him next week or something. Uh, yeah, like there was a rich old, basically a rich old lady who was a Shawn Michaels fan. Yeah. And she died and left him like $2 million. <laughs> oh. Wow. <laughs> um, Bret Hart is thought to be safe as he hates Hogan and Flair and The Undertaker, uh, who couldn't take the gimmick with him since that is wholly owned by WWF. Yeah. So other than those guys, it's thought that no one is completely untouchable uh, in this kind of bidding war that's sort of breaking open here.
1: That's cr- That's crazy. I mean. That's crazy, especially since uh, that would just be like, hey, Bischoff, if you want to pay for some of these guys, you can you can keep adding to this invasion if yeah, you want to. Yep. To your own free will because as, as it was kind of like mentioned before, that like WCW is not a very big expense for Turner. Right. And so he, he he does have the ability to kind of open up the checkbook and maybe overpay some guys if he wants to. So it's... Like, right now is a great time for WCW to kind of start this invasion angle because they're going to have a surplus of, of guys that they can bring in.
0: In another noteworthy event from uh, 20 years ago, uh, star of Lucha Underground Season 1, Pimpinela Escarlata, won the AAA Mexican National Light Heavyweight title from La Parca. And at that point, what was one of the uh, biggest upsets in Mexican wrestling history... Uh, Also, over in Japan, the New Japan Pro Wrestling Best of the Super Juniors Tournament got underway on May 24th. Those events will take place through June 12th, and there are three WCW stars in the tournament. Malenko, uh, JL, Mr. JL, I don't know which gimmick he uses in Japan, I don't know if he uses the mask or not, and Benoit, who uh, does use a mask in Japan and is known as Wild Pegasus. Yeah. So, uh, that's kind of all the news from around the wrestling world, certainly next week. Uh, we'll have a lot in our news segments as McMahon uh, has chance to respond to this appearance by uh, scott hall using essentially what is mcmahon's intellectual uh property yeah over on his competition's television so it'll be very interesting to see how he responds to that uh very interesting to see where scott hall goes and probably not that interesting to see what happens with anything else <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned for that uh you know like i said earlier we're not really on the every week schedule right now and I'm going to have these episodes in the can, but I want to parcel them out uh, because I don't know what, exactly when we'll record again. So we will see you soon, but I can't say exactly when, right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Right, Lord
3: is Steven Regal coming your way. And, hey, I want to take this opportunity to say a good uh, a hello to a, a good fan, a viewer, regular viewer of WCW, Dave Redekop, out in Washington watching each and every week like so many people do from coast to coast. Thanks for watching, Dave, and look forward to seeing you next time you happen to be in. He's a rent a cop. No, rent a
0: cop.
4: I thought you said he's a rent a cop.
3: No, not a rent a cop. One of those
4: guys that stand out the uh, Berry queens and keep the traffic moving. With the two cell flashlight.
0: No, I don't know. It's just-